So I have a production note before the actual episode starts. This is mostly targeted towards our longtime listeners or anyone who's been particularly confused about the scheduling over the last couple days. Uh, if this is your first time listening, you just don't really care, go ahead and skip to around the seven-minute marker, and we have a fantastic final part of James Dean ready for you to listen to. But for everyone who would like a little bit of clarification, I want to try to provide that here. So this episode is going up particularly late, in two days late, in fact, two full days later than when it was supposed to go up, uh, and uh, this is Drake Cummings talking, by the way, and I just want to take full responsibility for this delay. It is unacceptable, but it, this has been a particularly challenging week as far as the schedule goes, and I would like to apologize for the delay and also give a little bit of background about what's been going on here because this is the first episode that is uh, drastically late, but this is not the first time in the recent past that the schedule has been confusing, hard to follow, or in constant change. Now, this wasn't a schedule change. This episode was supposed to come out on Wednesday, but I want to talk about this stuff in general. It's important to remember that this podcast is still in its very early days, and with that, we are just kind of having to put together with limited resources, with limited time, and kind of just when we can. And we endeavor to create as much of a professional environment within film history as we can and deliver our deliverables on time consistently. But sometimes things just go into flux. Uh, none of us are making any money off of film history right now. While we have generated some revenue through ads and other partnerships, uh, that stuff has gone primarily towards uh, keeping the lights on, as it were to say, uh, paying for the RSS feed and marketing and things like that. Uh, we have not drawn a paycheck yet and probably will not for some time. And we understand that and we're prepared to go into this for the long haul. But with that comes the need to make money in other ways by working jobs, accepting gigs, things like that. Life also happens and we don't currently have the mechanisms to handle sudden changes to our schedule. It's something that we're working to build in and prep episodes in advance and have contingencies. But again, these things just take a while to build up when there are so many other factors in play uh, since this is not our full-time job. Also, I don't know exactly how it seems from the outside, but a peek behind the hood, these episodes take a lot of work to put together each week. James, in particular, puts in uh, anywhere from 10 to 20, if not more, hours of research and writing. And then on my end, I handle the edit, and uh, there's a lot that goes into the edit. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be cut out, adjusted, audio needs to be balanced, and I'm not perfect at it. I wasn't an audio engineer by trade. It's something I kind of have to learn how to do over time. And so I hope that it sounds good, and I hope that the episodes have sounded better over time. But uh, it takes a while to go through and cut down the episode to the part that you hear. And then on top of that, uh, a good deal of work goes into providing the sound effects and the music and the other things that hopefully elevate the audio experience and the listening experience. And on my end, it takes me anywhere between 8 to 12 plus hours to edit a single episode. And sometimes we shoot these episodes 
a day, two days before it goes live or is supposed to go live. And so that puts a lot of the editing work on my plate, typically like the night before these things are about to go up. And I've made it work for a long time, but this is just the week I just couldn't make it work. And I apologize for that. And we're going to try to be shooting episodes earlier in the week to give myself more time to edit uh, because it'd be a lot better if I could break that eight hours into two hours over multiple nights instead of having to do the majority of it in sometimes one sitting. And so I don't bring this up to garner sympathy or anything like that, but I do think it's important for the viewer to understand a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes so that it hopefully makes these delays or uh, schedule changes or you know anything else just a little bit more understandable and less confusing. Because that is my biggest concern is that things have become co so confusing that the average audience person is a hard time keeping up on when things are supposed to come out and how we're releasing things. And on top of us experimenting with a couple changes, there's also just been crazy things have happened that have altered the schedule. I mean, there's been times that we've talked about next week we'll be doing this topic and then that next week comes and it's a completely different topic. And sometimes that has to do with the fact that James unfortunately didn't have time to do as deep of a dive into that topic as he wanted. And instead of uh, coming with what he had and not doing it justice, he thought it'd be more appropriate to do a more lighthearted topic and really give that episode the research it deserves. And then on my end, that manifests with the episode's not always going up at 6 a.m. or sometimes later than that, and in this case, two full days late. So we are trying, we are trying to improve. We want to deliver a consistent quality product to you every week. Uh, and so all I ask in the meantime is for your patience, uh, your continued support, and I just do want to say thank you for everyone who's been supporting us so far and everything up till now. We are just shy of five months from hitting a year marker, and so our hope is that by that year marker, uh, this is become a more well-oiled machine than it currently is, but these things just take time. So uh, thank you so much uh, for your support, for your understanding. Uh, I hope that this episode is worth the two-day extra wait. And uh, if you have any questions for us at all, you know, reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Film History, The History of Film, James Dean, Part 3. I have no idea when Dev starts on this. Oh, me neither. Is it now? It can't be now. There's no way. Wait, it's coming up. Okay, hold on. Okay. Places. Places. The history of film That better who even the lights go dim From James Cagney to Nosferatu And stunts that shock you And dirty, dirty studios made From wings to Top Gun Movie stars and no ones Romantic crazy fans that leave no real as fun Hollywood Is still from history in Hollywood they chase the Oscar, but it's all a sham, just like Shaq and Kazam. All your dreams can come true. Film history, the history of film. All of it made for you. Good God, that was terrible. <laughs> James Dean, part three. Here we go. Uh, 
How do we start this show? I forgot. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 every week I forget. Uh, Me too, man. What's your name? My name is James Wyatt Scott. And I'm Dre Cummings, and we're the, the hosts. We're the hosts of Film History. The, the History, History of, of Film. film. <laughs> is there a third host? There is a third host. There will be again very soon. I'd, I'd say the next episode. I'd hope so. Yeah. Have you heard from him? Yeah, I mean, I've heard from him here and there. Okay. You know, I can't tell anybody anything. Right. But, uh, top secret. Yeah. Top secret stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's. <laughs> let's just say he's uh, he's having the time of his life. I mean, you Good. probably if you if you follow his Instagram, it's no secret. But uh, right. Yeah. He's bad. He's bad at going undercover. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was he was definitely like, I'm not gonna post anything. And then mm-hmm. the next day, he posted everything. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, I mean, yeah. that's cool. Well, I mean, hey, that's uh, that's dangerous. That's how um, John McAfee, that's how John <laughs> oh, McAfee yeah. got caught. Exactly, got man. Yeah, yeah that, he should have just shut up, there was a Well, there was a New York Times reporter or something that was like, he had agreed to let follow him around. But oh, like the, the arrangement was like, he was going to document stuff and then go back and write up a story. But he was like live tweeting like where they were at and shit. So he was dumb. like, so crazy. I'm with John McAfee in the South American oh. jungle. We just left Bolivia or whatever the fuck. He was working for the CIA. Or the I think FBI. he was just stupid. Yeah, he might, it was probably just stupid. He was like, yo, he just like fucking posts on Instagram with the location tag. Wow. It's like fucking idiot. Wow. Um, I, don't do that if you're with anyone. <laughs> yeah. Or just just don't don't tell anyone where you are at the moment. In general, and no matter yeah. who you are. Yeah, wait, wait for later. Yeah, like wait for later. Just... I. Man, I've just I've heard horror stories, man. Yeah. Like telling someone you're at a particular location mm-hmm. leaves you open for a lot of a lot of stuff. Yeah. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, especially uh yeah, especially if you're famous. Yeah. Uh in pop smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh but this isn't about pop smoke. It's about it's about another one who died too young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of New York's favorites, you know, as well here. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. right. We left off where he moved to New York. He moved to New York. And he's in New York now. This is James Dean, part three. In case you didn't read the title for some reason, it doesn't end well. Ah. It doesn't end well. Spoiler alert. Things did not end well for old Jimmy Dean. So, so what year are we in right now? So, right now we're in the early 50s. Okay. We're around 53. This whole story will span from like 53 to 55. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what I was wondering. It was yeah. just about like a two year window. Yeah. And I okay. did. I already did the when are we on part two right. for the fifties. But just remember, sock hops, mm-hmm. uh, pre Elvis, mm-hmm. talking. You know, more like uh, Nat King Cole. A lot of uh, teenagers uh, being taken advantage of by older people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Drunk driving is uh, not oh. necessarily against the law, but more of just vaguely discouraged. Yeah. Drunk driving, as a matter of fact, is a pastime yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you would get drunk and everybody would go mm-hmm. drive around and absolutely murder each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. And, uh, bubbling teenage angst mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. We, this is the era, uh, and James Dean was a big, contributor to this but teenagers were not happy you know they were not happy there and like i said we talked about it in the last one their world war ii dad came home and things weren't as fun right yeah so yeah (laughs) don't and mom just word of advice to everyone don't live through a time after world war ii yeah don't do it don't do that don't do live through any other time yeah those guys (laughs) they used to just call it battle fatigue it wasn't known as ptsd (laughs) and by the way you could get dishonorably discharged for battle fatigue if you went nuts in war 
they were like, you're you're a, a pansy. <laughs> like, clearly you're not an honorable man. Like, God forbid an artillery shell blow up your friend next to you. Yeah, he's you got, just got the battle up. grumpies. <laughs> you got the, you're a grumpy little boy, aren't you? Why don't, why don't you get out there and get shot at some more? Dude, they were like, just, if you were like panicking in a foxhole, they'd be like, get the fuck up. Get back in there. What are you crazy? It's like yes, yes. There's a movie that I want to do one day for this show, Catch 22. The term Catch 22 came from this movie back in the day, and it was about it was they made they made two versions of it, but the one that I'm thinking of was like the 60s, and uh, it was about these bomber pilots who were being basically just like worked into the ground. They were going on way too many missions, and they would tell the Air Force, like, hey, I'm going crazy because I'm up there for too long. Mm -hmm. And the Air Force people would say, well, the thing is, if you were crazy, you wouldn't know you're crazy. <laughs> so you're not crazy. And so, like, you couldn't tell them that you were crazy because then they would think you weren't. Because it was, it was an excuse. It was a catch-22. Ah, yeah, I see. That's where, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, why did they call it catch-22? I don't remember. <laughs> I'll have to watch the movie again. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> it was a good movie, though. It had uh, Angelina Jolie's dad in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. When he was just a, a bebe. I was about to say, I didn't know if she had a dad, but that's not the words I meant. I didn't know her dad acted. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I assumed she had a dad. That was... <sighs> I'm, of course, I forget his name, but that's not important. We're, we're not talking about him. I'm going to bring in Radio Man <laughs> to give you a little recap. Uh, we'll see if he's in a better mood this time. You know, last time it got a little dark. You, you know, know, I kind of hope he's not. I want to see where it goes. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> let's see how it goes. Come on in, Radio Man. <laughs> <clears throat> last we left our hero. While attending the drama program at UCLA, James Dean begins acting class under James Whitmore, studying the Russian Stanislavski method, much to the chagrin of anti-commies. He joins a fraternity, and in a shocking twist, a college frat turned out to be racist and homophobic. This didn't sit well with young James Dean, since he and his writer roommate, William Bass, like to get naked together once in a while and roll around in the hay. God forbid. He gets a small role in a Pepsi commercial and decides to drop out of school and pursue acting full-time. Turns out, with a face like Jimmy's, shilling carbonated sugar water can land you a few TV gigs. He also finds a new powerful roommate in Hollywood, a famous handsome radio host named Rogers Brackett, who he also got naked with and rolled around in the hay. God forbid. As luck would have it, Brackett is a producer of Broadway plays. He puts Jimmy in a play. Bada bing, bada boom, Jimmy's on Broadway. So he moves to New York City to chase his dreams as an actor. Life is just a simulation. None of this is real. I have never been corporeal. I have always just been Radio Man. Wow. Oh. Thanks, thanks Radio Man. Yeah, it seems like he's accepting it more. Yeah, you know? I think he's starting to realize. He's not as he's not as dour about it, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Some people have their place in the universe. Yeah. You know, and you just got to realize not it. Not everyone can be corporeal. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's I love, okay. I love that word, corporeal. <laughs> yeah, so and that's good. okay. <laughs> that's we, okay. We need the non-corporeals. Sometimes I wish I wasn't corporeal. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, you know, I wish I existed in another dimension sometimes. Yeah, and it only came out when you needed to recap stuff in an old-timey <laughs> voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks, Radio Man. Everyone Thanks, give Radio it up Man. for Radio Man. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, as our sad friend put it, uh, Jimmy's rocking the boards on Broadway in New York. 
and he makes it his permanent residence out there. And he's like, he's bouncing around from job to job, you know, mostly working in television. Drake, you'll love this. He worked as a tester for a game show called Beat the Clock. Oh, cool. <laughs> a show where people had to perform challenges to beat the clock. You know, you had to do it fast. And uh, legend has it they actually fired him because he was, like, too fast at doing the test. <laughs> Apparently, he really was this weird, like, genius, you know. And he would get very competitive, and he was like, no, but I'm going to beat the fucking game. And they were like, yeah, but we're more looking for, like, what someone from Milwaukee would Yeah, like the do. average, the average <laughs> yeah. game player, yeah. But I say you would love that because, Drake, you have some experience game show testing. Yes, okay, I do. Uh, and I think I can talk about this <laughs> right, because yeah, think, the yeah. show came out years ago and is canceled. Now. What are they gonna sue us? <laughs> so, what are they gonna sue us? But yeah, uh, fun poll. I'm glad you remembered. Uh, yeah. I um I I've long since uh, been uh, been uh, employment challenged since I moved out here. <laughs> let's say, and uh, during some of my more challenging uh, unemployment stints, uh, I. Uh, I, I went on Craigslist and I found an ad for someone looking to test a sleep deprivation game. Ugh. And I was like, I I don't sleep much anyway. Yeah. I can stay up for a while and I like games. <laughs> Let's do it. It paid like 500 bucks. Um, yeah. And I was like, hey, to stay up for 24 hours straight and play some games, I'll take 500 bucks. Yeah. So um, I, I Ubered up there because I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I won't be able to drive back. It was up in Glendale or Burbank. I don't remember. Oh, okay. And we got in and I'm like thinking that it's going to be like Ninja Warrior stuff. And like right. every couple hours, you're going to have to run the obstacle course again just to see like how the sleep deprivation is like affecting you and stuff. Right. But uh, but that is not the oh, case. Oh, God, you wish. That is not the case. Yeah. No, the um, what we're going to be doing for 24 hours straight uh, is we're going to be counting quarters. So uh, there is a giant tub of quarters. Uh, the, the chairs are set up in a circle around a giant tub of quarters. And you have to run and uh, you have a little bag. And you go and you, you fill up your bag of quarters. You come back to your desk and you have a bucket next to your desk. And you count the quarters. Oh, my God. Like the dollar amount. So you're counting like the dollars that uh, like the quarters are added up to. And you slide them into the bucket. But the thing is you don't have anything to write down. Uh, you, you have to keep track Jesus in your head. Christ. You can do like a tally system. So if you want to use some quarters to like kind of like make a tally or whatever, but you don't have a pen and paper uh, or anything like that, you have to kind of keep track in your head. And then obviously the hard part is st doing this for 24 hours straight, uh, like not sleeping, uh, staying up. Now here's the thing. The person who counted the most amount of money and is most accurate, uh -huh. like to the dollar amount, the top five move on to play the actual game. Oh my God, that's so not just, that's the, not the game? No, that's the qualifier. <sighs> so the way the game show works is like, you know, they'll bring in like 20 people and then right. the top five of those people move on to the actual game. So in the actual game show, I never watched it, but I hear that that 24 hour part is like the first 10 minutes. Oh my God. And then the actual dude. game is the rest of it. What? And there's like a hundred people that they split up into like a bunch of of groups of like 20 or whatever yeah. and their their whole point is like you can go to sleep if you want to but like you're obviously going to count less yeah. and like you're not going to do as well uh, and they kind of wanted to see how many people can make it through how many people go to sleep how accurate the people are if someone that does nap strategically can they catch up and stuff uh -huh. so they're just testing out a bunch of stuff about the game and you said how you said there was like millions of dollars of quarters around you right yeah I I, I I well that might have been sleep deprived uh exactly but there was there was a shit ton of money like yeah. like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars yeah, yeah um and i was like well fuck if i'm going to put myself through this 
I want to play those games at the end. Yeah. So I was like, I was into it. I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. God. And I, I made top five. Wow. I think I was number three. I think I was Holy the shit. third. I had the most money and was the third closest to getting accurate. I think I was $20 off. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was thousands of dollars. I counted thousands of dollars of quarters. Oh, my God. Um, and I was like 20 bucks off. And but this is I don't I don't think you were at a game show test. I think you were at an Abu Ghraib test. I think they were testing torture. They're, I think the, they're I think testing they're, Guantanamo yeah, ideas. I yeah. think the government was using this like yeah. let's just tell them it's for a game show, but like we're we're testing this new torture method. Well, you know? so I made it to the games, and the games were pretty half-assed. They were like See? stack up Jenga blocks nah. or like remember a sequence of numbers. They weren't like fun games. So nah. I was like, I was so pissed. I was like, I did all this and the games aren't even fun. That's because they didn't even, they <laughs> didn't even rough out the rest of the idea. They <laughs> were like, like no, like let's part. just do torture. Like we're not, I'm not sitting here going to try to write a game. You know. So I, I didn't I didn't win. Um, I think I think the winner got to like be an audience member in the show oh, or whatever. Great, but I mean everyone awesome. got paid though. You still got like, you got your five hundred yeah, bucks. But yeah, but think about that. <laughs> okay, this will be this will be amazing. Listen to this. We'll pay people five hundred bucks to come here, and if they if they're taking the five hundred bucks to do a sleep deprivation test, they clearly need it. And then when they get here, we'll have them count thousands of dollars that they have no access to yeah. at all. You know, like they'll never be able to see all the money, all all the money they're counting. They sure wish they had. Oh yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And then we'll make them stay up for twenty four hours and just count money that they don't have. Man, that'll be so fun. And they'll reward them with a thing that well, no one wants to do or reward them that with a thing that you literally get paid 80 bucks to go do sometimes yeah. you know like, that might have not been the reward this was like two years ago at this point i don't or like four at three like, or your reward is you get to stay up for 24 more hours <laughs> yeah. yeah um but uh but i don't remember what the exact reward was but uh your reward I, is the fire hose <laughs> your reward is sweet relief <laughs> yeah just a bullet to the brain yeah but i'll tell you it was pretty miserable but you it, like this thing anyone who's been up for over 24 hours you at some point something switches in your brain oh yeah and you're just kind of on a like Euphoric. a hallucinogenic high yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah and yeah, it's just yeah. it starts being fun again yeah and what's funny is like i got back home and i like i wasn't tired like after all that like i just wasn't tired so like i probably watched tv for like five more hours before i like finally fell asleep because they broke you yeah yeah they broke like, they broke successful <laughs> they broke my will <laughs> i don't remember what that show was called but it's a netflix show so if you want to like try and find it you can see what i put myself through it's called uh, Guantanamo it's Guantanamo yeah, you can watch it in Guantanamo Bay they play it on the televisions <laughs> while you're counting quarters the Guantanamo show <laughs> the Guantanamo show welcome <laughs> to the Guantanamo show but yeah um, I uh, testing out game shows can be fun yeah <laughs> read well, the fine print well old Jimmy Dean was doing just that beat the clock and he was really he was beating that fucking clock and they were not they were like you gotta go Sorry. <laughs> this is not you're not supposed to do this <laughs> uh, and he started picking up some more TV work as well he was appearing in episodes of several series like The Web, Studio One, and Lux Video Theater. Uh, Studio One, I've seen him in the Studio One when it was really cool. He's literally like, uh, I, I want to say he was like 21, 22, you know. Mm -hmm. But it was some of the, it was one of the first things that you can go look up and it was like one of the first things you see him speak in, you mm -hmm. know, like really get some good lines in there. Especially, I, I don't know, it was one of the most, one of the things that mainly like, it's still out there, you know. Mm -hmm. Some of this shit was a little bit hard to find, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but they were small roles, but it was a big deal. And ultimately, what it led to 
was his admission into the very prestigious and impossible to get into the actor's studio. Mm. To well, Real yeah. quick, I'm not surprised that this stuff is hard to find. Like, yeah. record-keeping back then wasn't as good. Like, yeah. and I, I, that, you know, the concept of one day these things will be uh, in a blockbuster or on a streaming service was like the like alien concept. Yeah. So it's kind of just like, yeah, we already aired it. Yeah. Burn it. Yeah, burn it. <laughs> no, it was bonkers, man. The stuff that I was not able to find mm-hmm. when it comes to James Dean, I was like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, but this is James Dean. You know, yeah. you would just expect. Like, yeah, but that was before he was James Dean. Yeah. So you know, he yeah. was just a guy who is a kind of successful TV he was, actor. He was just James DeWeird's favorite little church guy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's like I'm sure there's someone out there who's kicking themselves and be like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have burned that reel. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. He gets his admission into the very prestigious The Actor's Studio. And if you'll remember, we've talked about... I'm going to absolutely have to do a whole episode on The Actor's Studio and Strasburg and, Mm -hmm. you know, all those people. Stella Adler, that whole thing. Because Mm -hmm. we have now broached it a few times. Steve Mm -hmm. McQueen, that episode. We talked about a lot of uh, the method acting of this time period, you know. But... It was also a thing where admission was you had to have a little bit of experience. Like he had gotten those, you know, a few TV roles, and he, I mean, he was on Broadway, you know. So like he was definitely a working actor at this point, and you sort of you had to be like a working actor, and you just had to be good, you know. Mm-hmm. You had to like him. You had to do an audition for them, and it was you and three hundred other people, and like five or ten would get chosen depending mm-hmm. on you know the amount. And so he got in. I mean, that was a huge thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I I, uh, I imagine, like, especially, like, so many people probably move there specifically to audition to try Absolutely. to get into that thing. Uh, have you been privy to the, the Chronicles of Axel on TikTok? No. There's this kid, Axel, and he... Oh, yes! I heard about... Go ahead. The, the yes. kid who went viral for being poor. Yeah. Or, oh. or pretending to be poor. It, the jury's out, but, like, people have done, like, research, and, like, he comes from, like, an upper-middle-class family, so right. people are, like, doubting. They're like, are you actually poor? Are you just yeah. doing it for clout? But right. you know, maybe his parents aren't helping him, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to assume about this kid's life. But... His whole thing was he was like, hey, I live in the smallest apartment in New York, and here's my poor life. Uh, and he's like, but also trying to get into Juilliard. Yes. And so uh, he got rejected from Juilliard, and at this point he had like built up a fan base on TikTok, and people were livid. They were sending emails yes. to Juilliard and stuff. It's like, maybe he's a bad actor. Uh, you don't know. I assume Juilliard probably knows better. Juilliard is, <laughs> you have a, you stand a better chance of getting into Harvard Law than you do at Juilliard. Like, true Truly, I remember seeing the first video where he's like, I'm applying to Juilliard. And I was like, oh, good fucking luck, kid. Like, oh, wow. Just just the <laughs> gall of you to even apply for Juilliard. Like, you little shit. Like, no, man, that's not the way it works. Yeah, But, I mean, he was, he was after he got denied, he was gracious about it. Like, he wasn't the one, inc- like, inciting the, the email, the angry emails. Yeah, he was like, sure. I didn't get in. It's okay. I'll make it one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, he got a modeling contract out of it, like, because he yeah. got enough attention. They're like, hey, I'll give you a modeling contract. But the best. <laughs> that's the same thing. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it, no, it'll move out of that smallest apartment in New York, baby. Um. But uh, but no, like the, what the funniest response video was. Uh, there's this one dude on uh, on TikTok. He's like this. Um, 
Indian guy, but he does like this frat boy accent. Like his whole gimmick for a while is he did like a stereotypical like Indian accent, yeah. and then he would switch to a frat boy accent in the middle of the sentence to like <laughs> punctuate the joke. Um, but uh, this way, he just did the entire frat accent. He said, "Yo, Axel, dude, I'm sorry to get into like Julie's yard or whatever, but I got a <laughs> kickback that's way better for you, my guy." <laughs> like the funniest response I've heard of that. Uh, Julie's backyard. <laughs> Julie's yard or whatever. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I know. I mean, I know that Julie. <laughs> is like the snobbiest fucking school on the planet but it's just i don't know good on you i guess you know you gotta you gotta shoot for the fucking moon and maybe you'll land on the sun or whatever but yeah. so uh just out of nowhere applying for juilliard i mean go try to get into a smaller school first maybe mm, yeah. and then work your way up in the world rather than just like i think i'll be ceo of ford you know I, i'm gonna send them a letter and see if they want to make me ceo you know and then they answer back like no and it's like oh you know like <laughs> but i thought that's so funny um so in in comparison like how is how how is it getting it's like actors studio is it a similar thing or it's not it's not quite the same thing kind of the same yeah. it, it no i would absolutely say that it is sort of like a juilliard mm-hmm. although juilliard is like uh is that more theater yeah mm-hmm. Ju- well and yes it is mm-hmm. juilliard is more of like a big theater program and it's also a college you know it's like mm. you actually have a like uh oh it's like it's like a real school exactly like, like an well, accredited I, I, real school is not the word i'm looking for it's, yeah. a, it's a more traditional school yeah it's like a that has a great acting program exactly i see yeah, whereas yeah. this is like specifically like an actor's work because you can workshop. do music at juilliard mm. you can do dance at juilliard okay you can it's an arts college oh, okay it's like the harvard of arts colleges Whereas the actor studio, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. it's a it is a method acting school. I see, you know, okay. yeah, and uh, he get he gets in, and yeah, he starts studying method acting under Lee Strasberg himself, mm-hmm. like the man, the man, the Lee, mm-hmm. the, the Strasberg, the, the man's getting the straight Strauss, from the tap, dude. the Strauss, dude, <laughs> he's getting it straight from the tap, baby, <laughs> just concentrated Strauss, dude. Strauss. <laughs> Sucking the straws, dude. He's sucking straight from the straws. Uh, probably. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> probably. There was a whole thing, man. I really did a deep dive into this man's sexuality just because it was so interesting, man. And everybody basically said the same thing. Like, yeah, dude, he was bi. Like, let's mm-hmm. just, yeah, yeah, he was bi. You know, let's get right to it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, was he bi? And all the and all the dudes he fucked were like, yeah, he definitely was. You know. <laughs> But yeah, dude, he's uh, he's he's learning from the Strauss. Um, he's and you know Strauss was all about like uh, super method, like becoming the character. You live as the character. You breathe as the fucking character. Mm-hmm. When you're at home, people need to call you the name mm-hmm. of your character. You know, mm-hmm. like this was that old school mm-hmm. method, uh, methody method, man. <clears throat> so he trained with James Whitmore, a guy who's all about using your memories for your performance and now he's doing Strasburg the super methody method mm-hmm. so he's just like layers to mm-hmm. him by now you know I mean that's probably it has a lot to do with why he was insane I'm sure yeah um method acting's got a history of kind of like we 
about PTSD earlier. It's got a history of kind of fucking people It'll up. It'll fuck you up. Like, uh, it's killed a couple actors. Absolutely. <laughs> His name was Heath Ledger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. St- the Strauss is like, one day, this will kill a Joker actor. Yes. <laughs> Jack Nicholson told Heath Ledger, like, please don't use method acting to do the Joker. Like, specifically. He was like, you don't need to be the Joker at home. And then, you know? uh, it, it, Heath Ledger was, like, going through a tunnel and he only got half of it. And he was like... That's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I should do that. <laughs> His fucking nineties cell phone or what? No. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jack. Sorry, Jack. I lost you. But I heard what you said. <laughs> I got the message. I got the though. message. I will go as method as possible. <laughs> Why so serious, Jack? Oh man. Um. Uh, luckily, we still got Jared Leto. Yeah. Thank around. God for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Joaquin Phoenix has been in Method since he was born. Yeah, Joaquin so. Phoenix has never not been out, in, out of character, for sure. <laughs> that man has been in character since he was born. I mean, look, when you're in a sex cult as a kid, that'll happen. You know, <laughs> that'll happen. <laughs> oh, it was it a sex cult? Yeah. Whoa. We got to yeah. do, do a Phoenix episode. Yeah, we do. Joaquin River and yes. the other ones. Yeah, yeah There's yeah, other yeah. ones, too. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, what was their name? It was. I think it was called, like, the Children of God. No, it was... No, it might have been the Children of God. We'll get into that. Okay. Ooh, boy. That'll be a big... Uh, well, I'll put a, a trigger warning <laughs> on every post that we do on that one. <laughs> every, every second. <laughs> that one's going to be a diddle-heavy episode. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So, anyway, back to the CAG. Just to give you a little bit about, about the uh, the actor's studio, this was the place, you know, in case you were wondering where have I heard that, uh, James Lipton, rest in peace, did a series from the 90s until he died called uh, Inside the Actor's Studio. And this was where he would interview actors. You know, what's your favorite curse word? And it was like... That's where I've heard that from. Yeah. And it was amazing. That was an incredible show. I loved that thing. But um, yeah, you would have really... You'd have iconic moments with actors. I don't know. Everyone always references this, but I'll reference it again. The Bradley Cooper interview with James Lipton, Mm -hmm. where he talks about he was at the actor's studio as a young actor doing classes there. Mm -hmm. And he watched Robert De Niro do an interview with James Lipton, and he asked a question in the audience, and they filmed it, him mm-hmm. asking Robert yeah. De Niro a question, and now he was at the actor's studio doing his own interview because he just did a movie with Robert De Niro. That's so cool. Wait, yeah. was that the one where he said, what's like, what's the best way to become an actor or something? And he was like, you're never going to be that. You're never going <laughs> yeah, to make a kid. Make a kid. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, was that yeah. that interview? I think that was that interview. Yeah, yeah. You're never going to make it, kid. <laughs> Yeah, that that show was a big reason why I started acting, actually. Really? I don't know. It was something about seeing, like, actors talk about... I was like, oh, I, I think it made me realize that acting was, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't just, like, playing pretend. Like, mm-hmm. people had a lot of, like, uh, tools and methods and shit, you know? Mm-hmm. It was, like, this, like, circus act, you know? <laughs> it's like, you don't just go on stage and just, like, do bullshit. It's all yeah. very, like, uh, rehearsed yeah. and planned. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. It's, like, a serious thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is not, but it yeah. is, yeah. you know? I mean... It's uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because it's both. It's both ridiculous and also absolutely. super serious at the yes. same time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The whole film industry, music, all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, you don't need it, but you absolutely mm-hmm. do. Yeah, you know? oh yeah, yeah. people have to be entertained. Yeah, 
for sure. Are you not entertained? We've always had entertainment. We've always needed it. What else yeah. would we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially during the coal mine times. <laughs> Some people are still in the coal mine times. <laughs> Some people are, man. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> coal mining hasn't changed as much as you would hope. You know, <laughs> dudes are still like being carted down there every day. Oh my God. I uh, sorry, tangent heavy episode. Maybe I'll cut this. Maybe I won't. Uh, I was listening to a podcast talking about like there was like a war in West Virginia that we don't talk oh, about yeah. between the coal miners and the, and the, the companies. Union busters. Yeah. yeah. And uh, like, dude, it used to be so dystopian. Like the coal mine used to own the town. Yep. And like, they like controlled your life basically. Yes. Like it's, it was insane. The, what I was hearing. the United States military turned 30 caliber machine guns on yeah. coal families of coal miners and their families. Yeah. It was yeah. like basically a mini civil war. It was it a was, massacre. Yeah. Was, they killed women, children. They killed more kids than they killed like grown men miners. Wow. Like Holy it was, shit. I think that was 1911 that that insane. happened. Yeah, I, that was very bad. He was learning from Lee Strasberg and Lee Strasberg was like the head of the studio. They basically had, they gave him over the studio uh, in 1951, and he actually headed it up until he died in the 80s. And or he could have faked his death. Who knows, man? He was a really good actor, so you know he might have just done a really good death scene. And they were like, um, "That was real." Yeah, you know the story. The story is better than the truth. <laughs> he was so method that he like just actually died. You yeah. know, he was like. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna play dead, I'm gonna really be dead. That well, that's that's the joke we've had about um, uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Is it's like his last film, he's gonna actually like die on screen. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then we all we no nobody will believe it. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the studio is best known for its work refining and teaching method acting. The approach was originally developed by the Group Theater in the 1930s, based on the innovations of Konstantin Stanislavski who you've heard us talk about a lot now. That's one of the reasons why I hated that Dev wasn't on this, because he knew a lot about the Stanislavski stuff. While at the studio, actors work together to develop their skills in a private environment where they can take risk as performers without the pressure of commercial roles. Interesting. So, like, does that mean that it's just, like... It's a space where it's okay to like try something to be bad because you're not auditioning for exactly. anything. Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And they would like you would you would come in and if you wanted to like uh, if you wanted to do a scene as a fucking dog, you mm-hmm. know. They were really into animal shit. Uh I don't know what it was about early acting, but mimicking animals was a big thing. Like and it still was even when I started doing acting school in LA. You would mimic a horse and you really committed to it or like be a dog in a scene and you would really be that fucking dog you know Interesting. Uh, there was a famous story about Marlon Brando he was in a class and they wanted them all to play goats and so they were walking around <laughs> like goats and then he said ah oh, like now an atom bomb is coming and, and you're all about to die and all these people started freaking out as goats mm-hmm. but he didn't freak out and he was like, why didn't you freak out? And Marlon Brando was like, I'm a fucking goat. I don't know what a bomb is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what a loud noise is? <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. But uh, as, of May two- <laughs> as of May 2018, the studio's co-presidents are Ellen Burstyn, Alec Baldwin, and Al Pacino. They are the, the co-presidents of the Actors Studio okay. nowadays. Yeah. Do they give classes ever? Uh, oh yeah, I'm sure. I'll tell you, I would never want to take an acting class from Al Pacino. Jesus Christ, sounds like no. way too much yelling, dude. He, <laughs> yeah, and he's intense, man. People don't 
uh, people do understand how intense he is, but he's also like an intense like Shakespearean actor. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Al Pacino at one point was like a song and dance Shakespeare guy. And he was very fucking serious about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like the CAG. You yeah. never know those yeah. tough guys, man. Those tough guys are at home tap dancing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And uh, and like I said, I've talked about this as well. When you talk about the actor's studio, you can't not talk about it. Everyone was trying to be Marlon Brando. Marlon mm. Brando has should get a lot of credit for the success of these method schools because he took this Russian method acting and really applied it to a real-life career and made a huge... They became the biggest movie star in the world mm-hmm. doing this. What, what do you What do you think is his best work as a method character? Streetcar Named Desire. Okay, for sure. To me, like he fucking was Stanley. You know, mm-hmm. like he was. I, yeah, man. That was the thing. His method really did work. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but again, you talk mm-hmm. about a man who became dangerously insane later mm-hmm. on in life. Like he was. Mm-hmm. He he went nuts. Yeah, and it is the chicken or the egg. It's like. Are you crazy before you start doing method, or does method make you crazy? <laughs> yeah. You know, like both. I think it's both. <laughs> yeah, I really do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you have to be a nut, but then it'll make you even crazier. I, I saw, I saw, stuff. I mean, the other day, this is probably not original. People probably heard this before, but uh, it, it caught me off guard. It said, uh, fun fact, to prepare for his role in 8 Mile, Marshall Mathers actually became the world's biggest rapper. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, I wouldn't put it past that weird dude. Probably, man. The rap career was only ever for the movie. It was just prep work. He told all of his friends in high school, he's like, no, no, I want to be a movie star, but I'm going to be a rapper first. And they're like, sure, bud. (laughs) Now look at him, performing at the Super Bowl. Look, ma. Mom's he's he's actually like British. Yeah. Like he's just, <laughs> it's like a uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character in um, uh, Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah, like he's just like blue eyes with like a cigar and like what I was thinking about was what was the energy at the ball? You know, yeah. he's like, American was... football is so perplexing to me. <laughs> I was playing a movie star, playing a rapper <laughs> from Detroit. That's all things. I actually, I was born in Detroit to 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 prepare for the role. <laughs> I was born to a bad mother in Detroit. <laughs> I really wanted to get the character, live in these walls. <laughs> I find it most appropriate to pick your next role before you die and reincarnate as that character. <laughs> That'd be so rad. Now I want to make just, a movie about that. Yeah, just a crazy man. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Let's do it. Oh, man. Yeah. Brando was, uh, he was Stella Adler. That was his like mm. whole thing. He kind of, he didn't really like Strasburg too much. What happened was he took like a few classes from Strasburg. And Strasburg was like, I created Marlon Brando, you know? And Brando was like, no, the fuck you didn't. It was Stella Adler. He's like, you know? and I'm going to go scream that in this movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. He's the one to scream Stella, Stella! right? <laughs> yeah, man. He's just talking about his acting coach. It's not, it has nothing to do with the other character yeah, in the movie. It's yeah. pure coincidence. He's going to be the next one, man. He'll probably be, he'll be the next deep dive like cool. this that I did on James Dean for cool. sure. Yeah, and then at some point, I promise you guys, it won't be all white dudes. At some <laughs> point, man, it's, we're coming up to it. Yeah. You know? But uh, yeah, Marlon Brando said, after I had some success, or I guess I should do it, after I had some success. <laughs> he wasn't always the godfather, but everybody does his, <laughs> you know. Lee Strasberg tried to take credit for teaching me how to act. 
He never taught me anything. He would have claimed credit for the sun and the moon if he believed he could get away with it. He was an ambitious, selfish man who exploited the people who attended the actor's studio and tried to project himself as an acting oracle and guru. Some people worshipped him, but I never knew why. I sometimes went to the actor's studio on Saturday mornings because Elia Kazan was teaching, and there were usually a lot of good-looking girls. But Strasberg never taught me acting. Stella Adler did. Mm. Yeah, so... I, I I probably think this is probably true for some people. Like, there's probably people that he legitimately, like, really taught that are, like, big fans of his. And there's other... He's probably also, like, the type of dude who's just like, well, he took one of my classes. I think yeah. he took a lot away from it. <laughs> I could tell I really resonated with him. Yeah, 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 I could yeah. see my coaching in him on screen. One class for me is all he needed. Exactly. Yeah. That was... <laughs> look how much he learned. <laughs> look, how much, look how much I could teach him in three hours. You know, <laughs> I made that man's career. <laughs> Come to my class. So now it's 1952. Jimmy's at the actor's studio, you know, studying the commie method. And uh, <laughs> this is the year he picked up his first line and his first film, actually. So now he's moving from TV to film. Okay. And his speaking role in a Humphrey Bogart movie called Deadline USA. And it was this fantastic movie. Kim Hunter, Ethel Barrymore, Old Bogey. It's about a newspaper and the mafia, all sorts of cool shit. You know, it's Humphrey Bogart, so mm -hmm. the mafia's involved, of course. And, uh, you know, back when they were really fucking writing, man, you know. But this is where Bogey met James Dean. And this mm. is where this, like, the clash started to happen. Mm. Like, historical. Like, yeah. this is where the old meets the new. I you see. Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Bogey is in, like, the latter years of mm -hmm. his career. And James Dean is this new method actor yeah and this yeah. was yeah this was where I, that would be an interesting episode honestly like the war between like i'm sure like yeah. the old versus the new i don't know how i'd quite do it yeah but yeah they they hated each other you know <laughs> like to the point where like bogey said some bad shit after him after he died oh wow <laughs> holy shit not bad mm -hmm. shit but he literally said basically like like i told you the method would kill you yeah <laughs> in a way <laughs> bogey after james dean died said basically like he was lucky he died when he did because there was no career ahead of him. <laughs> like, he hated to the very end. He died before he could burn out. Exactly. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> he died. What the fuck are these kids doing? It's Russian <laughs> shit. You know, not for me, old bogey. <laughs> and his wife, Lauren McCall, was like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> these bogey and McCall impressions will. They're great. I love yeah. them. Yeah, I feel like I know them. <laughs> they'll make more. Yeah, they'll make more. <laughs> wait until we do the episode. You'll you'll understand them all for sure. But yeah, Dean, he loved the actor studio, though. Like, he was all about it. He was like, and I mean, still to this day, the actor studio, if you go there, you'll definitely hear about James Dean. You know, mm -hmm. he was one of their biggest alumni. Uh, and of course, when he got in, he wrote a letter to his dad. <laughs> <laughs> Still trying. Still trying. Said, uh, it's the greatest school of the theater. It houses great people like Marlon Brando. Not really. <laughs> Julie Harris, Arthur Kennedy, Mildred Dunnock, Eli Wallach. Very few get into it. It's the best thing that can happen to an actor. I am one of the youngest to belong. He wrote that to his dad, and uh, I don't I, I don't know if his dad ever even read it. I was oh, yeah, I was about to say, he definitely didn't write back. No. There's no way in hell. No, he didn't write back. <laughs> uh, he probably was like, yeah, call me when you're a lawyer. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, <laughs> why are you still writing to me? I don't, I don't know you. But uh, still, still doing that, still that acting stuff. <laughs> so he starts picking up work, of course. You know, he's at this prestigious place. Uh, listen to the stuff he was getting. 
setting and just how commercialized television was at the time. He got some work on the old cheese show. Nice. He, yeah, he got on the Kraft Television Theater. And uh, then he was in the United States Steel Hour. Good old USS, you know, making skyscrapers mm-hmm. and uh, ships and television, apparently. And he landed a gig on General Electric Theater as well. So cheese, steel, and kitchen stoves. That's all kind of what got James Dean started out as an actor here. And uh, <laughs> in the summer of 1953, he lands the role that kind of showed America he could, you know, be a real naughty boy, you know, like James DeWeird liked back in Indiana. But uh, you see, <laughs> you see, Ford, Ford Motor Company had a show going called Omnibus. And it was this sort of like variety show. They'd have short films written by big writers, mm-hmm. uh, and they would also interview big people. They interviewed like Frank Lloyd Wright on this show and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it was this like, uh, we're going to give you a really cool interview, and then maybe we'll give you like a short film written mm-hmm. by like some huge writer. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. And James Dean got one of these. He got one of these like segments on this show. And uh, he's working with big directors. And, uh, you know, it was just this big deal for him. He was. He was in an episode titled Glory in the Flower, where he danced to the song Crazy Man Crazy by Bill Haley and the Comets, and this was one of the first dramatic TV programs to ever feature rock and roll, ever. And so he was literally getting in on this new wave, this new rock and roll thing, you know? Yeah, it was very interesting. It was very, like, rock and roll was new, it was very controversial, Putting it on TV was very controversial. I'm Ford took a big risk even doing this. Whoa. You know, like the Ford, our Ford Motor Company is <laughs> playing that rock and roll. You know, I ain't buying no more Fords. You know, but they were doing it, man. Crazy, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's I, that, that tracks for like the Rebel. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like what his legacy became. Yeah. That like makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wonder if uh, I wonder if he just like had that energy. He was like, he's like, he's he's the face of rock. Oh, and roll, he was, dude. man. <laughs> he definitely was. There, there was a reason, you know. I'll talk about it later on in this episode. But Rebel Without a Cause, when he got made the star of that, it was like he is this guy, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, well, sorry, question: Who yeah. who played? Who what, what what was the performer for that rock that rock bit? Oh, it was Bill Haley in the Comets. Okay, yeah, and it was called Crazy Man Crazy. Okay, yeah, like a little. Early rock song, okay. You know, very early rock and roll. I, like, I have no reference on what this is, but I'm sure it's so quaint it's, by today's standards. Oh my god, like, yeah. It, it definitely talks about just like holding a hand. Yes, <laughs> holding a hand, probably dancing around in your socks. Yeah, you know, pre Beatles, right? Pre, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, like, yeah. Early Beatles is like really pushing what I'd call rock and roll music. <laughs> they were pissed that they were gyrating their hips. Oh my like, God. that's what we're talking about. Right, yeah. You know, like, they're making humping motions, and they're yeah. turning on my teenager, you know? <laughs> like, they, they were not happy. And that was kind of his, like, introduction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was one of those things where it was so controversial that he got kind of famous from being in it. You know what I yeah, mean? Right, was, yeah, right, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. I'm sure he was written up in a lot of newspapers. Yeah, you know? and I mean, it probably made him even cooler to the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he really started to heat up after this. He landed his first, like, big-time Broadway role, mm-hmm. uh, 1954. So this is, mind you, a year before his death. 
Oh, wow. This is how short this man's career was. Wow. This is how hot he got, how fast That's crazy. this is all happening. Is he still living in New York? He was still living in New York at the time. Okay. It's 1954. They're doing an adaptation of Andre Gede's book. Sorry if I butchered his name, mm-hmm. but he they're doing an adaptation of this book called The Immoralist. And he played, on Broadway, he played Bashir, a gay North African houseboy. He was this, like, houseboy who was struggling with his sexuality. Mm. And this was his first big thing on Broadway. He's been doing method for this since he was a child. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. He was doing method with this, with uh, Rogers Brackett in the apartment, you know, just days ago. (laughs) He's my scene partner. (laughs) And this is where... The man was absolutely by, you know, mm-hmm. because during this, uh, he started having an affair with this actress named Geraldine Page, mm-hmm. huge actress. She, she would also go on to have like Oscars and shit. Oh, wow. You know? Okay, yeah. cool. And her daughter, Angelica Page, said of their relationship, according to my mother, their affair went on for three and a half months. And when he, in many ways, my mother never really got over Jimmy. It was not unusual for me to go to her dressing room through the years, obviously many years after Dean was gone, and find pictures of him taped up to her mirror. My mother never forgot about Jimmy. Never. I believe they were artistic soulmates. Paige remained friends with Dean until his death and kept a number of personal mementos from the play, including several drawings by him. Wow. And this is sort of... Um, this is a thing of his. Like he imprinted on people. Big Interesting. Time, you know, like yeah. it was no one really ever got over this man. You know. And it was <laughs> That's it, pretty cool. Yeah. And it was one of those where he was a tortured soul, a mm-hmm. tortured artist, but it's a lot of people would fall madly in love with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the looks alone, but also I just think his whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. he was yeah. just uh his whole vibe. His whole vibe, man. Yeah. You know, especially for the 50s. You know, it was just this kind of a... It wasn't a new thing, brooding by any means, but he was he was a brooding guy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he was yeah. a very brooding guy. Um, and this role of Bashir got Hollywood's attention. So this is where he gets noticed by the studios at this point. Um, and in 1953... This big writer, Paul Osborne, has teamed up with John Steinbeck to adapt East of Eden, John Steinbeck's novel, for Warner Brothers, uh, and they attached Elia Kazan as the director. Now, I just mentioned him earlier. He was also a teacher at the Actors Studio, Mm -hmm. Elia Kazan. Elia Kazan was the other one who really actually did teach Marlon Brando a lot of stuff. They They had worked together a lot. And he was sort of this, like, he also was really good with actors as a director. Mm-hmm. And he and Stella Adler were the ones who Marlon Brando credits with, like, where I got my thing. Okay. You know, yeah. Our old pal Jack Warner, the head honcho of this operation, I'm sure James Dean loved old Jack. Actually, they they were kind of friendly with each other, way more friendly than, than Cagney was with Jack <laughs> Warner, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have a long enough time to hate each other exactly. yet. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I think if, I, I think if uh, old, uh, old, old Cag uh, died after like doing two moves with Jack exactly. Warner, Warner wouldn't have much problem with him either. <laughs> that's very true. Very, very true. 
And uh, so, <laughs> that's so true, man. That's a very good point. <laughs> but they were looking, Kazan was looking for his next Brando. Mm-hmm. Brando at this point was in his mid 30s, mm-hmm. um, had just been a legend, still yeah. a legend, you know, but also. We need a Tom Holland. We need a Tom Holland. <laughs> we need a teenager, basically, yeah. like a kid, mm-hmm. you know, a fresh face. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just no way Brando can play this, like, teenager in right. this John yeah. Steinbeck thing, you know. So uh, Brando. In, a lot of people by this point knew of James Dean because of what he was doing in Broadway, and he was really he was making some waves. And you know, don't forget he was a networking genius. The man was like dating huge actresses, you know, and he yeah. was he was uh, li- by yeah. all accounts. I mean, uh, I know he was a little unstable by a lot of accounts, but uh, was other than that, was he like uh, known to be a pretty nice guy, or was he like kind of a dick? I am. I, I mean, imagine he'd have to be like he's charming because he's like doing all this networking stuff. But it's like, do, do people have like a lot of accounts of like arg- arguments with him and yeah, stuff? Yeah, there were a few people who said they did not like him. At oh, all. really? Uh, <laughs> one of them being Kazan, the director of this movie. Um, so that's a that's an interesting question. Yeah, they were looking at people. They were looking at uh, one of my all time favorite actors as well, Paul Newman, mm-hmm. who's on your wall outside, right? The guy yeah, yeah. in front of the Cadillac. Paul Newman was friends at the time with James Dean. Like I said, you. Know, James Dean had been getting out there networking. He's mm-hmm. friends with Paul Newman. And Paul Newman got looked at for the role, and he was the one who said, well, you ought to look at my friend James Dean. He's perfect for this. Like, uh, he read the script and was like, I'd love to play it, but honestly, this guy's better for it, mm-hmm. you know? And he's a new up-and-comer, probably going to be a big deal. Um, he even went so far as to do a screen test with James Dean for Kazan, for the mm. director. And yeah, Kazan said he did not like him. He did not like James Dean personally, but he was perfect for this role. I to, see. Yeah, like he said, and he introduced him to John Steinbeck, the guy who wrote the fucking novel. And John Steinbeck said, "That is Cal. That's like oh, the guy cool. I wrote. Like, oh, cool. He's okay. him. You know." And uh, <laughs> and when you consider that the script was about brothers and on a farm competing for their dad's love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's the one. Yeah, that you know? just makes sense. <laughs> this guy's the one, man. He was born for this role. Yeah, again, I, I don't know how much of these roles are method and how much of these roles he's just, like, getting cast as who he is. <laughs> he didn't have to do method. <laughs> yeah. He was just living it, you know? <laughs> most, I mean, most of his roles, sadly, that's only, like, two of his big roles, were him being in a rural setting mm-hmm. uh, up against, like, religion and up against, you know, like, dad's love. So here's my theory. His yeah. dad never really hated him. He was an agent of Steinbeck from the beginning. And they're like, we need to craft a man for these roles. Can you pretend to hate your son for years to craft the man that we need? We need a farm boy who hates his dad. And his dad is like, it will be done. It will be done. I am, if nothing, a fan of the arts. I mean, look, he did randomly get a job as a dentist in Santa Monica. That was was just Hollywood. Like, we're going to bring you over. He hired this Quaker people who were never related to him. He hired them to do more damage to his son. He's like, I have Steinbeck. I've done all I can do. Oh my God! And James the Weird worked for the government too. It was just like, actually, I've got the perfect guy to be his pastor while we're at it. If you want me to add some extra layers in the mix, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a CIA operation to craft the, the most damaged actor of yes, all time. They created, they created this, and then they killed him. So, he was getting out of hand. He was, he was they couldn't his, control the creation anymore. You're flying too close to the sun, Jimmy. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, man, Jimmy, he gets this role. He leaves New York in April of 1954 to Los Angeles to film this huge fucking budget thing east of Eden. And he he's on the plane with Kazan. And they're like, he's doing the whole, like the director's going over his scripts and stuff mm-hmm. with him and all that. When they get to L.A., <laughs> Kazan accompanied James Dean to visit his estranged father, who was living there at the time, and he witnessed firsthand how badly the father treated Dean and how much the boy wanted to please him. As he got to know Dean better, Kazan saw how this relationship had instilled in him a great deal of anger because of frustrated love, the key to the character of Cal. (laughs) He said it was the most apt piece of casting I've ever done in my life. (laughs) So you were right on the money. He's like, yes, it's working. (laughs) My movie will be perfect. It was a big budget thing. I couldn't find the exact budget for the movie, of course, but it was this big Warner Brothers movie that he was getting absolutely Mm -hmm. like third lead on. Mm -hmm. Uh, he got paid a thousand dollars a week. When you run that through the old inflation calculator, that's ten thousand dollars a week nowadays. <sighs> must be nice. I know. <laughs> must be nice. <laughs> but also, that's um, that's uh, that's a lot. But it's not that much for right. like an actor in like a big budget movie and stuff. And he's already like you know seen success on TV and Broadway and things like that. That's still, I guess, kind of like a modest rate. Yeah, and it came with, of course, it was being done by Warner Brothers, so basically it was also a ticket to like be looked at for a contract. Right, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's also the, like, kind of like a development deal exactly. almost. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he's getting this $1,000 a week to almost be tested. You mm-hmm. know, like, Jack Warner's going to come stop by set and mm-hmm. see the dailies and shit. And yeah. Things could happen, yeah. you know, and things do. He could hate you as much as Cagney yeah. one day. <laughs> <laughs> one day you could be in a war with him as well, <laughs> like a lot of other people were. Oh, God, what a man. What a man. Jack Warner, one day he'll just get his whole episode on here, and we'll just talk about how he <laughs> damn near ruined the entire film industry. Old Jack. Old Jack. Old JW. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, he's doing East of Eden. He's making this serious dough, um, and he is just kind of becoming a movie star right there while he's making this movie. And he's starting to realize it at this point. He's like, he's he's starting to feel his, uh, what he is becoming. Mm, you know? Okay. Yeah. And he made that pretty clear to the crew, I guess. Oh, I, no. Yeah. There were like no specific stories, but he would harass a lot of the crew a lot of time. Damn. Uh, to where the point where Kazan would have to step in and say, like, hey, man, you're being a real dick right now. <laughs> like, why don't you back off, okay? Damn. Yeah. And he was also fucking partying his guts out. I mean, mm. he's getting paid, you know, the equivalent of 10 grand a week and yeah. he's in Hollywood. He's in LA, just got here. Yeah. He's going nuts. He's he's 22, yeah. you know, at this yeah, point yeah, yeah. or no, he was actually he was like 24, but still. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's going crazy to the point where Kazan had to move him into a dressing room at Warner Brothers and he moved into one next to him <laughs> to like keep an eye on him. That oh, was back when that was back when those dressing rooms were like little apartments. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 And uh, crazy. He's just like making sure this fucking kid didn't like escape in the middle of the night to go run <laughs> havoc on all the actresses in LA. You know, <laughs> put locks on the doors. Yeah, <laughs> lock them, lock them up. Keep hide your wife, hide your kids. <laughs> and uh, of course, he's putting on a method clinic. Man, <laughs> um, he doesn't necessarily remember all of his lines uh, at all. But he is going way hard in the in the paint for the method acting. I see <laughs> to the point where. 
some of his coworkers, his 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 co stars were pretty annoyed by like the unprofessionalism that was sure. going on. You know, yeah, yeah. It's because that also like just makes it way harder for your co star to know what the fuck they're supposed to do. Exactly. It's like, do I have to improv too? Yeah. Like, like I don't. It what? doesn't make sense. What mm-hmm. I'm about to say doesn't make sense with the last thing that you just said. Yeah. 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 There was a scene. There's a big famous Ferris wheel scene in this movie. Uh, and he decided he needed to be very uncomfortable for the scene, so he held in his urine all day to the point where he just had to, like, damn near piss his pants, and he was, like, in agony. And he did this scene, and he can't remember his lines, of course, because oh, he's God. fucking full of piss. Oh, my God. Everybody's like, please just stop. Like, can you just do the fucking scene? You know, Let's like, go, go pee. pee. Don't pee on me. Don't pee on me, please. Yeah. <laughs> if you pee yourself, also, we're keeping it in the movie, by the way. Like, that's on you. You know, I won't not have the shot of you pissing your pants. So. Oh, my God. And uh, he was having, like, very real breakdowns, too. Like, I think what was going on is <laughs> he got what he wanted, but he wasn't ready for it. You I'm know? Bill Gart might have been right about this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might, you might be right. You might be right. He, uh, they were trying to shoot. They'd be getting into a scene, and he would just fucking break down. Like, weeping, sobbing. Like, couldn't get through a line. He was. It, it was, was not so part of the emotional. scene. That, that was not. No, this no. was not a crying scene. No, they had to like cut until he was done. Like this man was not good in the head. Like things are not okay, you know. And it's just like get the shot though, right? You know. I mean, fucking like Hollywood for this guy was basically. He's so emotionally disturbed that we can get some gold out of him, you know? Like, oh we love God. this guy. Like, <sighs> it's it's what we still do it, though, man. We yeah. put really, really unstable people on television yeah. know, to oh, this day. Yeah, all the time, especially in the music industry. Yeah, yeah. clearly. So, like, let's just see what this guy does. Yeah, that's yeah. Gonna, that's kind of want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone around him is like, please stop. Please stop giving this man fuel, you know? And, the, and uh, these types of people are just like, I don't want to take my meds. And everyone's like... Yeah, keep, yeah, that, keep yeah. that energy. I don't want you on meds either, guy. Guy, <laughs> no meds for you. Content for me. But yeah, go. I mean, I would say go watch East of Eden. Uh, it is a chore. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a happy movie, like I said. But uh, it, it, you can watch his performance as well. Kazan said that James Dean tension, his tension and shyness, always manifested itself physically. So he had to allow the actor to use like contorted, awkward postures to convey the character. And he said it was almost psychotic. He was exactly like the people you see in insane asylums. <laughs> so was this movie good? It was, I, yes. Yes. This movie was good. Was he good in it? Yeah. Okay, let's go but, with that. <laughs> let's go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it depends on your interpretation. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> was the was the writer happy? Uh, yeah. No, John oh, okay. Steinbeck said it came out perfect. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, John Steinbeck actually, he had worked with Kazan before on mm-hmm. uh, another one of his books. Yeah. Kazan had sort of like adapted another yeah. one. And so this was his guy. Okay. Um, well, so did they just keep shooting the scenes until he finally did the lines right? Or basically. did they just like cut it and make it work? A lot of it was improv. A lot mm-hmm. of it made it in. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, yeah, and he was doing this like weird body contortion thing. He was really trying out a lot of stuff. I, I think he was just freaking the fuck out. You remember honest. that part of the actor's studio where they're like, you can do anything here and you don't have to worry about it. And he just like didn't realize that didn't apply yeah. to like the real world. They were like, we said with no pressure from commercial, you know, in here, you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. now that money's behind it, you yeah, know, maybe don't bark like a dog yeah. in East of Eden, you know. But, <laughs> and uh, they asked Kazan at some point point like well did you hate him did you hate mm-hmm. being with james dean on set and he said you can't not like a guy with that much pain in him you know how a dog will be mean and snarl at you then you pat him and he's all over you with affection that's the way dean was interesting <laughs> so he he was very angry until you like had to you know you had to challenge him yeah, until, until, until you like. say good job yeah yeah like, good I, job boy oh, he's like oh cool <laughs> oh, okay good it's, it's like sick i love it <laughs> Uh, this was also this was the only movie of James Dean's that he would see. This was ah. the, yeah, this was the only film that he went to the premiere, and which is interesting to think about this man at a Hollywood premiere, just all together, mm-hmm. you know, just like the angstiest, mm-hmm. uh, most existential man, <laughs> the angstiest at, boy, yeah, the angstiest boy being like photographed at a big glitzy event, you know. Mm-hmm. He would clean up though, he would dress up for shit, yeah, but uh, it, it he did not go to the premiere party. And that pissed off Jack Warner. Ah. But, yeah, because Jack Warner now, by this point, has offered him a contract that I we're going to talk about. So, yeah. Uh, in review, so he, so he did live long enough to piss off Jack Warner. He did live, yeah, yeah, he did. Everybody managed to piss off Jack Warner at some point. I mean, I think if you even came across him, you know, in life, you probably had pissed him off some, somehow, some way. Whether it was like just getting a coffee somewhere, or you know, you saw him at like Schwab's pharmacy. He's probably mad that you're even there, you know. Schwab's, <laughs> Schwab's. But yeah, reviews of this thing were mixed. Critics liked it. They thought he did great. Uh, the audience and a lot of like journalists thought he was just trying to be Brando. He, mm. he this was a thing that he would get all the time. Mm-hmm. You're a ripoff Brando. You're mm-hmm. fucking Walmart Brando. Mm-hmm. You know, like they even said he got a leather jacket. He got the same motorcycle that Brando had. Mm. He really did. I mean, Brando said it himself too. Like he worshipped Brando. Mm-hmm. He would call Marlon Brando on the phone late at night just to see if he could like talk to him. I think he got his number from someone. They only met three times. Ever. Oh my god! They met at like a party. They met on set somewhere that they were both visiting a set to go like see some actors and stuff. Jesus! And they only met three times, and he would like stalk Brandon. There's no caller ID back then, so it's <laughs> like you pick up the phone. You're like, fuck. fuck. No, he said, dude, he would call Marlon Brando. And they had an answering machine by now. He had like mm-hmm. a answering service. Mm-hmm. And Marlon Brando said he he would call and he would leave these like hour long messages on his answering service to like. Hey man, like please call me. I'm so inspired by you. I just want to talk to you. I just want to like get in your head, you know, stuff like that. To the point where when he saw James Dean at that party that they met at, yeah. he pulled him to the side and was like, "Listen, kid, like I think you're doing great. I love you to death. I love mm-hmm. watching you. You're great, but leave me the fuck alone and I think you're insane. <laughs> like you need therapy." That's like, wild. <laughs> he said you need therapy. Yeah. And this is Marlon Brando. See, when you first told me this story back at like part 1, yeah. I thought that they were friends and no. he was like pulling his buddy aside. I didn't know that they'd only met 3 times yeah. and he was like this is enough information about you for me to say what I'm about to say. Yeah, I think Marlon Brando was like I will be a mentor to you from afar. <laughs> You know, or like when you calm down and you're not so nuts, maybe yeah. we can talk. You know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. for now, like you go get counseling. And 
and Brando is also known for being a cuckoo? Oh, a complete cuckoo clock. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Like, beyond the pale. Oh, like, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know any of those stories. This man used to go to Pink's Hot Dog, Marlon Brando, yeah. and he would order 100 hot dogs. What? Like, <laughs> he, was, he was just a madman. Cool. Like, I can't wait to tell you <laughs> the stories of him on Apocalypse Now, like, where he showed up. 300 pounds overweight. Oh, that's right. That is yeah. him. He, he could not remember a line for the fucking life of him. He had that earpiece in his ear. The, yeah, they're feeding him his lines. Yes, dude. Like, <laughs> the man was insane. I, again, watch the Val Kilmer documentary when they do Island of Dr. Moreau, and Marlon Brando is just, like, swinging around in this hammock, and people are, like, asking him questions, and he just doesn't hear them, I guess, or doesn't understand what they're saying. And he was, he was like, hardly in the movie. They had, like, a stand in for him for him for like the whole thing i can't wait for that episode i that's gonna be a really good one the marlon brando episode is a coming don't you worry fascinating all these people were fucking nuts except for old bogart over there old bogey you know oh he was pretty put together he was he was yeah i mean he was like uh he just drank a lot yeah he just loved to drink hang out with the rat pack you know and but before that was like yeah, just like the biggest movie star of the late 30s and 40s, you know. Old Jack Warner comes to James Dean. He he can also see that, oh shit, like, I'm watching the dailies. This kid's going to be fucking huge, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, he's he was visiting set and stuff. So basically, just as they're rapping on East of Eden, Jack Warner comes to James Dean, and he offers him a $1 million nine-movie contract. And so, when you put that through the old inflation calculator, that's a cool ten million bucks in today's money. Okay. Yeah. How many movies? Nine. Which, and you know, okay. in those days, uh, I know that's like getting. Yeah, it was okay. like you were getting like around, you know, a hundred grand a picture. That's not a lot. I know for yeah. a big actor, that's not really a lot. Nah, but you know, I would have taken it. Yeah, no, I for mean, sure. Yeah, you become a millionaire instantly. Yeah, yeah uh, and yeah, like, uh, were they still shooting movies super fucking? That's quick? the thing too. They were okay. shooting them like crazy. You know? Okay, even like a big one like East of Eden didn't really. It took a few months. Oh, okay, you know, really. so it's just so, really it's like a three year contract yeah, when you yeah. get down to it. Okay, that's that's not too bad. I would have taken it. Oh, absolutely. It definitely would have taken it, but like it's yeah, it's just it's not as good as it initially sounds. Yeah. And dude, the sad part is this was the contract. Like that was his contract oh, with Warner yeah. Brothers. And he died before, you know, he died three movies into this thing. Yeah. You know? So yeah, yeah. I mean it's it was sort of like this big uh contract that just never really got yeah. fulfilled, you know. Yeah. But it's uh, so sad, man. Um, so sad. Is there a death clause in these contracts or did they have to pay out that money to like family or something? I uh, I would I don't know. That's actually very interesting. I'm sure there was a if you die, you don't get anything. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you die of whatever it is that kills you in the 50s. They they don't know, uh, they don't even pay for funeral expenses. <laughs> yeah. They're like if you drink yourself to death, if you run off of Mulholland in your car, <laughs> uh, if you kill yourself some way with a bunch of lithium, we're not going to pay the rest, you know. <laughs> if you die in a cool way, you yeah. don't get the money. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. will pay for funeral expenses if it's a dumb way. Yeah, if it's some dumb way. If we'll, it's like if it's like uh, dysentery. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll cover the funeral. If you die on set and some and <laughs> something that you're doing that's real cool. <laughs> but a lot of crazy stories came from this man. Mm-hmm. He definitely had that uh I just became a millionaire. Like mm-hmm. he was do he was living like the young hot millionaire actor. Cool. Like this kid, he went and bought a bunch of cars, bought a bunch of motorcycles, bought some race cars. You know, he was going all out, man. And he was also a little 
unhinged. He liked to party, and he was he was beginning to push the party. Um, oh, I see. So a pattern of dangerous activity when he was fucked up was starting to form. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a there was David Dalton wrote a biography on on James Dean in 1974, and uh, he revealed that at one of the parties that he was at with James Dean, James Dean. Like to get really fucked up and mm-hmm. have you put cigarettes out on his body. It was like, <laughs> and then he like would make like art. Like he wanted you to like draw him while you were putting cigarettes out on him and shit. He became like a masochist. Like basically, he wanted you to like hurt him during sex. <laughs> I mean, bro, whatever gets you off. Whatever, man. That's cool. You know, yeah, yeah. for sure. I don't want kink shame. No, not at all, man. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I hate it because you're an actor and you just signed a contract. Probably don't burn cigarettes out on that million dollar, you know, yeah, yeah, vessel yeah. here. Right, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But uh, whatever you got to do, man. You yeah. Know, I mean, whatever you got to do to stop missing your dad. Yeah. Is, uh... <laughs> I mean, still see a therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you see a therapist, definitely. you're still into that stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Scott, I don't want kink shame. It's whatever yeah, you're into, yeah. but like, you know. But, uh, you might be working through something too, for sure. <laughs> but this was also where he started the Brando thing. This was where he like started buying all the stuff to look like Brando. Uh, you know, buying the motorcycles. My my kink is Brando. Yeah, man, definitely. His kink was <laughs> put cigarettes out on me while I say lines from a Brando. Movie, you know. <laughs> uh, so a lot of red flags yeah. that this man is probably not well. Not well. But I assume the outreach for you know troubled uh, celebrities was even worse back then. Oh, absolutely. I mean. I mean, it was definitely still at this point, you were encouraged mm-hmm. to, yeah, man, you were a glitzy mm-hmm. movie star. You how, know? how were tabloids at this time? Like, was there an equivalent of a TMZ back then? Oh, yeah. And they were gnarly. Oh, they, okay. oh yeah, no. It was, uh, I wouldn't say it was worse than it is now, but it kind of was. Mm-hmm. Like, you would get outed on shit. Like, there's no doubt it. They would mm-hmm. go for you. They'd go for anything mm-hmm. personal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had anything personal in your life that they could find out about at this time, they were going to report it. You mm-hmm. know, it was big gotcha journalism at this time. I see. And God forbid they found out you had an affair or you were gay yeah. or any of that shit. You know, how. how- how about the the kinky cigarette sex? Is that like something that the public would like revile at, or would they be like, "That's just that's just weird." <laughs> that's but, just weird. But I don't know if I hate it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> they probably just wouldn't quite know. They probably wouldn't believe it for yeah. one, and they wouldn't quite know what to do with that information. And honestly, you'd probably get in trouble as a journalist. Like now, you're just putting out smut. Yeah, you know, they just, right? they're like, just making shit up. Yeah, no one's that weird. No one is that crazy. You're like these Hollywood actors are America's bread and butter. You know, like. <laughs> James Dean has such a sweet little face. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, man. Oh, I love those dark stories. 1954, with all this Warner Brothers money in his pocket, Dean became interested in developing a career in motorsport. And he purchased various vehicles, including a Triumph Tiger T110 and a Porsche 356. He was getting... Really into race car driving. I see. Did he ever take classes? No. Ah. ah no way. He, he did uh, drive women around Hollywood very fast. I see, yeah. Yeah, he would, if you were a friend or someone he was trying to impress and you got in his convertible, you were probably going to mm-hmm. get near-death experience every day, you know? I see, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's so funny to me, because that'd be like, to me, like, that's like saying, yeah, I'm getting really into skydiving. Exactly. It's yeah. like, oh, where are you taking classes at? Nah, I don't need that. It's pretty simple. You throw a open bat, the chute. Yeah, throw a parachute on, jump yeah. out, jump out the plane. 
pull the cord. And the guy who I paid <laughs> ten grand to said that that's what I could do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I own the helicopter. Yeah, I'm exactly. paying the pilot. Like, exactly. <laughs> it's like well, you should you should get a professional to teach you how to do that if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, just before his next movie is Rebel Without a Cause, that's what's coming up, mm. and. You know, that's what he's getting ready for. He's getting ready to be this this crazy teenager and rebel without a cause. So he's doing his method acting thing, and this race car thing was part of it. He really mm-hmm. wanted to become the leather jacket wearing, mm-hmm. cigarette smoking, race car driving, yeah, a- angsty teen. And the studio didn't get him a teacher. What uh, a race car teacher? No, yeah. the studio didn't want him doing it. Jack Warner oh. was Jack Warner and his manager both were like, "What in the fuck are you doing?" To the point where I'll talk about it here in a bit. Jack Warner made him when he did Giant the movie. Jack Warner made him sign a contract that said, "You will not race cars while you're making this movie, or else you're going to be fired." Wow, it was a huge liability. You yeah, know? He's yeah, up, yeah, especially at this time, racing was yeah way dangerous. Right, you know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. These cars were yeah, yeah. Cars, I mean, cars didn't they didn't have uh, airbags. They just had like one of those uh, crank gloves that pops yeah. out and punches you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they were fucking made of like just Steel. aluminum. <laughs> yeah, like like. Just this, it, they were death traps. Yeah. Know? No, no, no one was very happy about this. I but see. But it was sort of a thing that... But he was racing cars in the movie. In, well, yeah, but like street racing, you know? Right. Like, and that was probably a lot yeah. of stunt guys. Okay, so the studio didn't let him do the no, stunts in the movie. No. Okay, I see. They did allow him, however, to have an actual switchblade and get into an actual knife fight. Whoa! Uh, yeah. Yeah. That seems like strange lines to yeah. draw. Strange lines. <laughs> strange I don't know about lines. that one. Yeah, they stopped it at one point because uh, he got actually cut and was bleeding, and they mm-hmm. stopped it, and he was like, never stop it when I'm <laughs> having a real moment, God damn it. That's what he said. Oh, Jimmy, what a boy. What a guy. Get the shot. But uh, <laughs> but just before filming began on Rebel Without a Cause, he competed in his first professional event at the Palm Springs Road Races, which was held in, of course, Palm Springs, California. On March 26th through 27th of 1955, Dean achieved first place in the novel novice class and second place at the main event. So he actually was very good. He oh, was wow. Very, he was a very... He was, he was fast, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it all ended very fast. Yeah, but he yeah, was yeah. fast. <laughs> no so, one's down the speed part of the situation. <laughs> and it was probably the worst thing that could have happened to him, honestly. Getting first place in that novice thing. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, see? Validation. Like, yeah, told you. I told, <laughs> told you, you I knew what I'm doing. Yeah, told you I knew how to drive fast. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and uh, so he de- he continued. He, his racing continued in Bakersfield a month later, where he finished first again in his class and third overall. And uh, he had dreams to compete in the Indianapolis 500. That was where he was going. Damn. So wait, does this not violate his contract? Not yet. Okay. At this point, I'm wondering if he sort of kept this a little bit under wraps. Yeah. He probably isn't telling Jack Warner that he's going to do this shit. Yeah, and the people who do know are probably just like giving him warnings. Like, come on, man, I won't tell Jack Warner now, but like, come on, bro. It became very apparent uh, what we'll talk about in his death here soon when he bought that Porsche that he wound mm-hmm. up dying in it was just straight up a fucking race, race car. car and they were all like dude now you're you're going too far like yeah. you're going to die you yeah, yeah, yeah um and that was when Jack Warner signed the contract like don't be don't be racing Oh, so that was when the no racing clause came yeah, in. He yeah. was like, an addendum to your contract. Yes. Uh, there will be no racing today. Exactly. So you were talking about the TMZ of the day. Yes. And that actually, some stuff did happen to him after he signed his contract with Warner Brothers with that. The studio's PR department 
began generating just fake stories about him, about his liaisons with a variety of young actresses who were mostly drawn from the clientele of Dean's Hollywood agent, Dick Clayton. So by now he's got this agent. And they would do this shit to actors who were new to the studio. I guess it was trying to like make them look hot, make them get a little buzz around them. They're out and about with Rita Hayworth mm-hmm. and all that shit, you know. And that was pissing him off pretty bad. <laughs> he did, oh, did not really? like that. Oh, yeah. he didn't consent to the stuff? No, he didn't consent to it, and he very much didn't like the fact that they were saying he was dating someone that he didn't, he wasn't dating. Right, you know? yeah. And uh, they were, it, I mean, that was part of what he was having to deal with is this new Warner Brothers guy. Yeah, and they would group Dean together with two other actors, Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter, identifying each of them as an eligible bachelor. And so have you ever heard of this term, eligible bachelor? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it this was... Is where this came from? This is where, this is where that came from. Whoa. The studios back in the day would say they were an eligible bachelor if they knew that they were gay. And it was oh. a thing of like, they don't have time to commit to a woman, you know? Oh. And yeah, or they would just lie and say that they were with a woman. Interesting. Yeah. And in, in James Dean's version, they said he was an eligible bachelor. For one, they wanted him to be single, mm-hmm. you know, and they definitely didn't want all the girls out there to know he was gay or bi. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was not gay. He was bi. But. Yeah, they 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 said his film rehearsals are in contract are in conflict with his marriage rehearsals. <laughs> so he's just too busy, you know. Yeah. Sorry, you can't he's catch doing, this he's kid. He's doing nine. He's doing ten movies right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. For a nickel bucks. for each one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he did have a secret love though that they didn't know about at the time. While on the Warner Brothers lot, he had fallen in love with young Italian actress Pierre Angeli. And he met Angeli while she was shooting The Silver Chalice in 1954 on an adjoining lot. And he just basically, like, saw her at lunch one day. You know, she's filming that thing over there. He's filming, like, East of Eden over here. Mm -hmm. Just falls head over heels in love with her. And to the point where, like, he's sending her jewelry to her dressing room and stuff. He was buying... He got that Warner Brothers contract. Mm -hmm. So he's buying her expensive shit, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is the girl where, like... He would take her out in the convertible. They had a kind of a bungalow on the beach in Santa Monica that they would escape off to on the weekends and where the paparazzi couldn't catch him, you know. Cool. And they would just have these, like, yeah, they would have, they had this whole, like, uh, young young love affair as two up-and-coming movie stars. Cool. You know, it was very cool. Yeah, just, uh, the, the media never caught on? No, well, not at the time. Um, I th- They might have, but also there was a thing that would go on at the time where... If they would find out a story about you, you know, somebody could just give them a better story and they wouldn't release that shit. Oh, sure. Stuff. So they're still willing to wheel and deal yeah. on some stuff. That's kind of how it works now. It's like you, uh, most of the actors are, you know, they try to be on the good side of like the, or the celebrities trying to be on the good side of the tabloids and they kind of work together. It's like, I'll give you this story if you don't run this story. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, her mom uh, called Warner Brothers and <laughs> Warner he got to set one day to do Rebel Without a Cause. And Jack Warner was like, I just got a phone call from this actress's mother saying that, like, you're, you're fucking her you're daughter. You're canoodling. You're canoodling with her daughter. And her daughter's very focused on her acting career right now. And y'all need to stop. You know? <laughs> you're Damn. canoodling. Damn. Yeah, mom, mom ratted him out. That's, that's wild. Mom ratted him out. But I don't know if it got to the press. I'm sure it did. I'm mm. sure if you looked at it, there's a, there was a, some rag mag out there yeah. that's like... But uh, she had this to say about him. This was 14 years... 
after his death, you know, and she's just reflecting on their time. She said, We used to go together to the California coast and stay there secretly in a cottage on a beach far away from prying eyes. We'd spend much of our time on the beach, sitting there, fooling around. Yeah, fooling around, sure. (laughs) Just like college kids. We would talk about ourselves and our problems, about the movies and acting, about life and life after death. We had a complete understanding of each other. We were like Romeo and Juliet, together and inseparable. Sometimes on the beach, we loved each other so much, we just wanted to walk around into the sea, holding hands, because we knew that we would always be together. <laughs> just go kill yourself. I was like, <laughs> I mean, these are these actors, man. Uh, Dean was quoted saying about Angeli, everything about Pierre is beautiful, especially her soul. She doesn't have to be all gussied up. She doesn't have to do or say anything. She's just wonderful as she is. She has a rare insight into life. And I think this was like the woman. This was like, if he mm. had lived, they probably would have been a married couple. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that would have been... Did they Did they date up until his death or after the after Jack Warner and the mother got involved, they kind of had to stop? I think that was the case. Oh, yeah. okay. And uh, I'm sure it was a thing where like it would have kept going. You yeah. know, but Jack's like, there'll be no canoodling. <laughs> There'll be no canoodling. Yeah, go get in your car and drive really fast. <laughs> no more canoodling with you. <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking Jack, dude. Jesus. Let me canoodle. You just paid me a million dollars. You know, like, you gave me a million dollar check and you don't want me to go canoodling? It's the 50s, goddammit. <laughs> Have you seen how high these women's socks are? Holy shit. <laughs> Uh, Warner Brothers had begun some pre-production on a B-movie called Rebel Without a Cause, an angsty 50s movies about teens gone wild, directed by cool guy, hot director Nicholas Ray, who had sort of started making like rock and roll stuff. Nicholas Ray was this director who, when the 50s came around, uh, he really got into this like rock and roll thing. You know, he was kind of... I would compare him to like a John Hughes, okay. where he wanted to make movies about rock and roll kids. You I know? see, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he also did, he directed A Lonely Place in 1950 with Bogey, one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> Bogey was probably like, what are you doing directing this James Dean kid? <laughs> you directed me, damn it. What, now you're directing him? What's up with that? You know? Work uh, slow down? <laughs> So, Jack, he's already basically committed James Dean to Rebel Without a Cause, but when he sees how big of a movie star he's becoming, he upgrades the movie. He's, he doesn't want it to be this B thing anymore. He wants to give it more of a budget. They're going to shoot it in Cinescope, which was the new, like, cutting-edge shit at the time, mm. and he wants to make a big thing of it, you know, basically. James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause, this is going to be the shit, you know. Nicholas Ray realizing all of this and realizing that he's got James Dean in his hands now kind of gave him free reign to like improvise because they had heard about what was going on on East of Eden where the man improv through a John Steinbeck movie, you mm-hmm. know? And he was like, maybe we should just give him stuff that he can kind of just work off work of. Off of. Yeah, yeah. Save us the headache. Yeah. He's going to do it anyway. He's going to so, do it anyway. So <laughs> I might as well plan for it to be part of it. Yeah, so he just kind of like... He, he was very loose with the script with James Dean. He's like, I don't know, man. Just do, do what you're going to do. It's like, there's some ideas here. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, uh, I'm not going to say much about the movie because I actually want to do an episode on this movie. Okay. I want to do a whole episode. On the, Just Rebel Without a Cause? The filming of this thing was nuts, Whoa. Dude. Nuts. Like Whoa. I said, I mean, real knife fights. Uh, it was also it was a cursed film. 
All three lead actors of this movie died tragically. Whoa. Uh, James Dean, Sal Mineo, uh, was an actor back in these days. He got stabbed randomly in the 70s after like this huge, long career. He was parking his car after rehearsals. He parked his car at like his condo or whatever, and a fucking mugger came up and stabbed him and murdered him. Like, Damn. Out of nowhere, basically. And then uh, Natalie Wood was another actress in this when she was a teenager. And if you remember the Hollywood yeah. murder mysteries, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or audience, if you guys yeah. remember, yeah. <laughs> we cover that story. She was like number six or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, um, yeah, and she died on a boat. Uh, <laughs> she died on a boat. Oh, uh, man. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, cool, okay, I, I'll look forward to that. There'll be a nice little return to the Yeah, theme. for sure. And the other actors as well, Edward Platt, who uh, killed himself in 1974, and Dennis Hopper was in this movie as like a really like baby Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, I don't think he was part of the curse. He died yeah. pretty old, you know. Yeah, but... it wasn't like that tragic, right? It was just like kind of like natural causes. Yeah. He was a little young, was like, but yeah, it probably had sick. more to do with the years of cocaine yeah, than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> probably had to do with the drug use. The, yeah, the, with like uh, funded uh, cocaine uh, bioproduction. production. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. But uh, I blame Jack Warner for all of it, you know. Of course. I, I think yeah. he probably had them all killed, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> but James Dean, do go do see this movie. I'm gonna do an episode about it one day. He absolutely fucking kills it in this role. I I actually do think he did well in this. Okay. I, he just fit so well. It was just does, him. Does uh does he live through the entire like? Does, have they wrapped by the time he dies? Yes, he lived through the whole thing here. He didn't see the premiere though. He did shoot all the scenes. They didn't have to like exactly, f- yeah. fake anything. No, or, or no. Okay. He finished this one and he actually moved on to do uh the movie afterwards. He oh, okay. actually did get to do his third film. It was Giant. This movie right. that he did. This was the one where they said you can't race your car while you're doing this movie. <laughs> I see. Okay. And he reluctantly agreed. He's under contract, you know, mm-hmm. and he signed the contract that said he wouldn't race during the production. And that was the one where he took on the role of Jet Rink, a Texan ranch hand who strikes oil and becomes wealthy in Giant. It was kind of uh, There Will Be Blood, I see. but in the 50s. I see. Yeah. yeah. And this was a posthumously released 1956 film. So he finished that one as well? He finished that one as well. Oh, wow, okay. He died during the editing of that one. Okay. Yeah. They, they actually had to get some of his stuff dubbed by another actor. Okay. Uh, because they didn't have him for any ADR. Oh, know? right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he did finish the scenes, though. Did uh, how, how do you think the ADR was? Did they do a pretty good it, job? I think they did all right. It was, um, I, I wish I could remember the actor's name right now who did his ADR, but it was a big-time actor who was also in the movie. Oh, okay, uh, Who did cool. his ADR, and I think he sold James Dean pretty well. Okay. And uh, hopefully they didn't have, but, you know, back then they were so ADR-heavy, man. I imagine that was a nightmare. Oh, right, you yeah, know, Everything was so loud. Yeah, half of the goddamn movies were, you know, yeah. dubbed for sure. Right. The movie portrays a number of decades in the lives of Bick Benedict, uh, played by Rock Hudson, his wife, Leslie, who was played by Elizabeth Taylor. This was, I mean, it was a huge thing for James Dean. He's on here, Rock Hudson, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Taylor. He became really good friends with Elizabeth Taylor on set. Mm-hmm. They, they were, Elizabeth Taylor kind of became like his therapist, basically. Oh, wow. And remember, she was the one in that interview back in the 90s where she was the one who talked about what happened with James DeWeird. Oh, uh, okay. She was the one who he told about it Ah, while they're on set of this. Okay. Yeah, and he's just, uh, you know, again, it was just so sad. I mean, he was this big movie star. He's on huge sets, getting paid, 
being this big movie star, making friends with Elizabeth Taylor. I guess he didn't really, he and Rock Hudson didn't really get along, but uh, probably because they both were in love with each other. Let's be honest. <laughs> they had to pretend like they didn't like each other, or else the, the media would catch on. Yeah, Rock Hudson was like the epitome of eligible bachelor back in those days. They made a whole documentary about it. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, we are going to talk about the end. The end of old Jimmy, man. When he finishes shooting Giant, his contract to not race is over. Oh, so it was just for it that was movie. Just for that. Oh, movie. and he actually stuck with it. Yeah. Oh, okay. He stuck cool. with it. He didn't do it. Damn. But after, but you know what? I don't know, man. I don't know if it would have saved him or not. But I almost wonder if he hadn't had the rust on him in a in a oh. car, you know, in a race car. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's conjecture, you know. Yeah. And plus that fucking car was a death trap. Like yeah. like I said, when he bought that thing, there were there was a a British actor who was a friend of his, a big actor. Um I didn't write him down here, but he literally told him a week before he died, like please don't drive that car. Like <laughs> you are going to be dead in that car. He told him that. I imagine Holy he, shit. I imagine he felt really bad afterwards. <laughs> probably felt worse if he didn't say anything and he still died. Yeah, know? that's true. Like, I could have saved I him. I could have saved like, him, man. Nah, no, yeah. Like yeah, <laughs> he actually tried. He's going to do what he was going to do. That's true. But yeah, he he's done doing giant. He's he's really fucking ready to get back on the track, baby. You know, get the get them engines are running mm-hmm. and uh, longing to return to the liberating prospects of motor racing. Dean traded in his speedster for a new, more powerful 1955 Porsche 550 Speed Spider, also known as the Little Bastard. That's what they call <laughs> this car. <laughs> It was a cool little car, man. It looked like a little jet. And at this point, he was like a real Porsche guy. He was really into racing Porsches. That was like his thing, you know. And so this was sort of like his step up into uh, an advanced Porsche that he could race. Uh, I see. Um, oh, okay. I looked up a, a picture. Wow, this looks like a James Bond car. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. a Bond car. Yeah, yeah, but okay. But yeah, this is a race car. Yeah. Yeah, it's a race car made of aluminum, no bumper, you know, yeah. uh, how, convertible. How fast did it go? Uh, it would go about 110, which okay. was not very fast for nowadays, right, but, but back in then, those. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it would top speed at like 110, 120, something like that. Yeah, and uh, it was just a beast, man. You know, and it was probably very hard to control. I would yeah, imagine I'm sure was, the handling wasn't great. Yeah, he like he was becoming this big Porsche guy, and he bought this car, and he entered the upcoming Salinas Road Race event scheduled for October first through the second, nineteen fifty-five. Do you know how much he paid for that car back then? Yeah, back then one of those cars was around sixty-eight hundred dollars, which okay. when you put that through the old inflation calculator. 71 grand. So not all not, not all that, that bad. Much. Not yeah. that bad. Not that bad. Yeah, okay. Especially if you consider nowadays people buy them for $3 million. Holy shit. Yeah. Like the, the 1955 version sells now for anywhere from like one to three mil. Wow. It's insane. Holy shit. Or I guess you could get one that was like 300 grand, you know? Okay. A little cheaper one. Yeah, but still that's <laughs> crazy. And I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's like... Doesn't seem like that cost prohibitive of a car. Yeah. Uh, if you want to buy a race car now, you're gonna pay a lot more money. Yeah, yeah. You know? And he he traded in another Porsche for it that was probably you know around the same price. Yeah. It all begins. He gets this car. He gets his race car. He's made friends with some of the manufacturers at Porsche, and he's mm-hmm. made friends with this one mechanic, Rolf Vutherick. And he had made friends with this guy, and the guy basically signed on to keep up with the little bastard, keep it maintained while James was racing it. And so he kind of became like Jimmy's partner in racing, you know, like he would, 
he would be the guy. He'd be the guy when you break down, I'll get it back to running or yeah. I'll, I'll I'll keep everything in tune. Right, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, in 1955, that was like getting a fucking watchmaker. You yeah. know, like these guys were very particularly skilled. Yeah. They signed up for Salinas. Like I said, it's happening in October, October the 1st. Vutherick, <laughs> the mechanic, says, why don't we drive this thing to Salinas and you can get everything like broken in on the way to the track. And the original plan was just to put it on the back of a truck and drive it to Salinas mm -hmm. like you do because it's a fucking race car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his uh, genius German mechanic was like, no, let's drive it, you know, <laughs> like fucking let's get the oil running through this thing mm -hmm. and get it broken in and just drive this, this thing on a this highway. The, so this is the first time he's ever used it? Yeah, basically, okay. yeah. This thing is like off the line, okay. you know, yeah, like yeah. brand new, yeah. yeah. Uh, should not be driven on a highway on a or road. on a regular road. Yeah, no doubt about it. Clearly, there weren't as many like laws about that. But yeah. if you're out here now and you're driving a fucking car from NASCAR yeah. on Hollywood Boulevard, it's not going to be good. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not street legal. <laughs> not street legal. Accompanying the actor on his way to the track on September 30th was stunt coordinator Bill Hickman, a photographer named Sanford Roth. They were in the truck following the car. Okay. The truck that was supposed to have the car on it, they drove it behind him basically just in case like you break down or something. We'll just put it on the truck okay, and go yeah. the rest of the way. And Rolf Vutherick was in the passenger seat and Jimmy was driving. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that is what's going up the road to Salinas, kind of in the Bay Area. That's where they're driving up to. Uh, at 3.30 p.m., they were all pulled over by the police and ticketed for speeding and because they were probably going nuts, yeah. you know. <laughs> did, did, we, did we have what they clocked them at? Like they, they say it was for? 90 miles an hour. Okay. Yeah, so he was running. He yeah, was going. Yeah, yeah. He was really trying to get this thing ready to race, yeah, yeah. you know, which is another thing in contention. Like, some people say the crash actually was 55, but if you look at the crash, dude, it looked like a fucking comet hit this car. <laughs> So I imagine he was going pretty fast. Yeah, it was funny too. Is like '90s not that fast for the highway nowadays. Yeah, no, like not really. I mean, there's speed limits usually kept out, but like I think the most you'll see is like a 75. Yeah, but like you definitely have seen people do 90 down the highway, and like it's it's not. It's not the safest, but it's not that dangerous it's on modern-day highways. And modern-day highways and modern-day cars. Well, I'm thinking of interstates. Do we have interstates at this time, or was we, there were just highways? No, we had interstates at this okay. time. Yeah, but modern-day cars are so much different. I had that 1972 Chevy pickup for so long, Yeah, and when you would drive that thing at like 90 to 100 miles an hour, it felt like you were in a fucking like jet. Oh, really? Like, it felt <laughs> like it was just... There's something about like an old you know V8. When you would get those things fast, things started to rattle, rattle yeah. like stuff's coming loose, <laughs> like, fucking like your door handles rattling off. It feels and shit. a lot faster than it yeah. feels a lot faster. Okay. It feels a lot more out of control. I mean, those yeah. old cars, like my Chevy. If I needed to stop in a hurry, it was going to be a problem. Mm, you know, it was yeah. a big, Oh, yeah, the, the braking system yeah, sounds good. I mean, yeah. you're talking about all yeah. drum brakes. Yeah. You know, disc brakes weren't even really a thing yet. Airbags, go fuck yourself. Right, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Seat belts yeah. or lap belts, yeah. you know. It was very dangerous. It was a very dangerous time to be driving <laughs> this fast, you know. <laughs> so, as the group is driving westbound on U.S. Route 466... Uh, near Sholame, Shol California? Sholame? I don't know. Near somewhere in California. At approximately 5.45 p.m., 
1950 Ford Tudor driven by 23-year-old Cal Poly student Donald Turnipseed. Man's <laughs> name is literally Donald Turnipseed. I'm <laughs> shit you not. He was traveling east. Turnipseed made a left turn onto Highway 41 headed north toward Fresno. And so he's making this left turn. James Dean is just flying up the fucking highway in his Porsche. And basically, turnip seed just had no time to get out of there. Yeah. And so James Dean just T-bones him, basically. And mm. the car kind of, like, slid off of his car, off of turnip seed's car, the Ford Tudor. Yeah. And just, like, fucking... Barreled into the ditch. Barreled into, yeah, like a fence and all mm. sorts of shit. It says he slammed into the passenger side of the Ford resulting in Dean's car bouncing across the pavement onto the side of the highway. Dean's passenger, Vutherick, he was thrown. That saved him. He's thrown from the car. Oh, shit. Yeah, and Dean was not. He was ah. trapped in the car, and basically they said had like a litany of in injuries, all of which would have been fatal. Oh, wow, yeah. okay. And he broke his neck. It was bad. Like, wow. Real bad. He, it was... Some people say he died instantly. There was a nurse who came to the scene who said she still felt like a kind of a heartbeat, so he might not have died instantly. All's bad. All's yeah. real bad. Not wow. not fun, you know. Did old Turnipseed live? Turnipseed was fine. Wow. Literally got out of his car and was like, what the fuck was that? Whoa. Yes, dude. Like, that fucking, uh, that, that Ford, man, that Ford that he was driving, that's why they have all that money to pay for television, <laughs> you know? That's what that baby can do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because uh, that's steel, right? Yeah. yeah his car's aluminum. His yeah. aluminum goes yeah. faster. Basically a fucking beer can at <laughs> oh 90 miles God. an hour. Yeah. Not Jesus. good. The, his passenger, did he have a seatbelt on, or was he flung out because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt? Couldn't have been wearing a seatbelt. And, yeah. I mean, a man like him, a German Porsche mechanic in the 50s, <laughs> I doubt he even knew what the seatbelt was, baby. You know, seatbelts are for losers. Was uh, was James Dean wearing the seatbelt? I mean, it sounds like he might have been, because he stayed in that fucking car as <laughs> yeah. it zipped across the highway. Which is, which is not advice. It's, no, I'm not advising you don't wear your seatbelt, yeah, but, like, depending sure. on the crash, like, yeah. it, it, the seatbelt could be worse. Oh, yeah, lap um, belts back in the day were killers. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah, especially great. because, like, it'll just cut you in half. Exactly. Like, there is no, like, there's no actual support there yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. you know you need that you need the cross belt to, yeah the, the locking of the belt and shit yeah, yeah man they they probably just shouldn't have had seat belts at all at that time i mean at that, that point yeah. it would have been yeah it's like it would have been just safer you know the man not wearing it yeah just yeah. get thrown but wear your fucking seat belt you know, <laughs> nowadays in your modern nowadays, cars yeah. on your modern roadways. Yeah, if you're, where's Radio Man? <laughs> Wear a seatbelt, please. There was a whole thing that James Dean did. Uh, it was to promote Rebel Without a Cause, and it was a thing where he was telling people like, "Don't drive too fast." Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, man, that's Nuts. hysterical. It was all. You know. All irony. So there were a, a few witnesses of this thing. There were, like, cars that were on the road and stuff. Uh, a lot of passerby. Passersby, they stopped to help. Dean's biographer George Perry wrote that a woman with nursing experience attended to Dean and detected a weak pulse. But uh, apparently also they said he died instantly. So, again, mm -hmm. that was one of those things. But he was pronounced dead on arrival shortly after he arrived by ambulance at the Paso Robles War Memorial Hospital at 6.20 p.m. And then he's fucking dead, man. Is, uh, is Johnny Appleseed still alive? Yeah, like, no, Is that man still around? He died in the 90s of okay. cancer. Oh. Of all things. The man yeah. got taken out nearly by James Dean, and then the fucking C-word gets him. Damn. Yeah, I... man. Uh, apparently, he did not ever do an interview. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't want to. Nah. You'd be like, people would hate you. Yeah. I, yeah. I want as few people to know who I am as possible. Yeah, for like, sure. Like, you know, because it's not his fault, but like, it, everyone would blame him and mm-hmm. shit. His life would be hell. Yeah. He shouldn't have been on the road. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't have existed in that space at that <laughs> yeah. time. Why'd you turn left when you hear the thunder coming down the yeah, street? Man, yeah, man. Come on. Didn't you hear his Porsche, bro? <laughs> thing was rad. <laughs> <laughs> Were they saying rad yet? No. I don't know. Was there anything left of the car? Was the car salvageable dude not there were so i'm gonna get into that actually that car had a curse attached to it it was known as the curse of the little bastard (laughs) despite being declared a total loss by the insurance company the car was sold on and would continue to cause carnage wherever it went or even parts of it would go apparently dr william estrick bought the porsche from a salvage yard in burbank and proceeded to strip it for parts which like why? Why? <laughs> I, you want? I okay. Like I guess. I, I thought he was gonna restore it. And no. he was like, I want the Dean car. <laughs> I want the Dean car. You would think, but no. He installed the Porsche's engine into his Lotus IX race car, and then he loaned the transmission and suspension parts to a fellow doctor and racer, Troy McHenry. These are just like white Burbank doctors who have a little racing hobby yeah. who are stripping apart James Dean's fucking death car <laughs> so they can like go running on a track, basically. so weird. So weird. They're asking for a curse. It's like going yeah. into a pyramid and opening a fucking like vase or some <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you're just asking for it. Because Estrick crashed the Lotus at the 1956 Pomona sports car races, surviving, but McHenry wasn't as lucky. He hit a tree and was killed in that race. And the curse of the little bastard began, basically, or Whoa. continued. Yeah, <laughs> got one. Yeah, man, the guy, one guy wrecked, the other guy wrecked and died, basically, immediately. Shortly after the crash, publicity monger and self-proclaimed king of customs, George Barris, uh, the Barris Auto Show still happens today. This guy okay. was like a huge... Uh, auto guy. Okay. He bought the spider, promising to rebuild it. He's gonna bring it mm. back. Which I again. Why? Why <laughs> don't you know? Like, don't bring the demon back from hell. Let's just burn <laughs> it at this point. Yeah. Uh, when the mangled frame was found to be beyond recovery, Barris chose to capitalize on the car's notoriety. The Porsche was loaned to the Los Angeles chapter of the National Safety Council, and from 1957 to 1959, it would go on like. A tour? tour and they would show like this is what happens when you drive fast like, you, okay. your hero james dean died in this okay yeah i, I, I get that one yeah. i get that one but it, it they would yeah they would take it to car shows cinemas stuff like that in march of 1959 while in storage in fresno the car mysteriously out of nowhere caught fire like whoa no one knows how and it wasn't even that bad it was just a little fire that started in this car Remarkably little damage, two melted tires, and some like singed paint was Still, it. There shouldn't be any like fuel in there or anything. Yeah, That's yeah. Interesting. It's, it was just like, it's just from hell, dude. <laughs> so then it goes on. The car is said to have fallen from its display while on show in Sacramento, and it broke this guy's hip. Some guy who was standing nearby broke his hip, and then it did this again. It fell off of a truck while they were transporting it to another thing. And it fucking killed another guy. Oh my god! This guy named George Barkas. It <sighs> fell on him and killed him. What the fuck, <laughs> dude? This is wild. Wild man, the little bastard. <laughs> it's like 
put that thing in a lake. Like, yeah. you know, like put it in the bottom of the ocean or something. Yeah, bury it with Dean. <laughs> Dude, for real. Absolutely, man. What do they put it in the bottom of the lake and it just like comes back out, you know, just like looking for its next, <laughs> the next ship fucking... sinks where they buried it. <laughs> the next fucking victim, man. That's basically it. I mean, I have like the thing where Bogey, what he said about his death, you know, he said Dean died. Dean died at just the right time. He left behind a legend. If he had lived, he'd never have been able to live up to his publicity. <laughs> yeah, I that's harsh, uh, especially say say right after a man just died. Yeah. But I I I see where he's coming from. Uh, you know, you could definitely make the case that he was so unstable that like his whole appeal was kind of a gimmick, right. and it would have worn out. Like his luck would have come, would have run out one way or the other. Yeah. The next director he works with, where he wants to be an improv weirdo, just it doesn't fucking work. Yeah. You know that director's not good enough to harness that nonsense. Right. Um. And uh, you know, he just continues to like alienate people by like being a pain to work with, or yeah. you know, uh, or whatever it is. Like I could definitely see like if he had lived, the legacy would wouldn't really have been there because it was like he was in a couple good movies when he started, but then after that first Warner Brothers contract, everything was just trash. Yeah, you know, like I could sure. definitely see that have happening. Maybe not. Maybe he still would have been yeah. like known as one of the greats, but he could have become um, like a Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. like an insane actor. Yeah. But also, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, he still has a big career, but also a lot of people do think he's a joke. You really? Know? What? Who thinks oh, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is a well, joke? people just, they know how crazy he is, is the yeah. thing. I think if you're that crazy, you got to keep it to yourself. You know, <laughs> like, don't, don't, like, Nicolas Cage, God bless him, he still does some pretty good stuff, but the man's nuts. Yeah. You know? yeah and yeah, I mean, yeah. everyone knows it, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's no yeah. secret anymore. It yeah. used to be like, oh, what? That guy's crazy? But, uh, now, when everybody finds out about it's it, it's possible to hide the crazy nowadays, though. It's yeah, too much, too much, too much information. Very true. Too much information. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. But you mentioned on one of the episodes that you said there might have been some foul play involved in James Dean's death. Where's the foul play coming from? No, no foul play. It was just uh, the controversy around it was how fast he was going. Oh, uh, the cop who showed up, he said, "Well, it looked to me like he was going 55." But then Turnip Seed said the motherfucker hit me like a comet. Like mm. that that thing was going really fast. And anybody around it who saw it said like that thing was screaming down the highway. Mm. And also, again, like if you Google the wreck and you there's pictures of it, the man was going faster than <laughs> fifty five miles an hour. Like the car looked like it went through like a, a meat grinder or something. Like, yeah, it, anybody out there go Google what the car looked like. I mean, it was beyond recognition, you know? Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that cop said was going 55. What the fuck? This is like, looks like it entered the atmosphere. <laughs> yes, dude. It was like a rocket ship that crashed into Earth. This like, burned up on its way into orbit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks like there's massive fire damage. Did the thing catch fire too? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like, it was a whole fireball fucking, yeah. A big fiery car crash. No That's doubt about insane. it. That's insane. I'm surprised there's anything left of his body. I'm surprised he wasn't just goo on the steering wheel. I know, I know, yeah. But, Quiet uh, goo. It's <laughs> just fucking Jimmy goo. So everyone knows his legacy now, but he did, he left this huge legacy. Like, James Dean Estate still to this day makes $5 million a year. Wow. So, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, I think it, like all I, all of his stuff went to his dad. I was about died. to say, I mean, he didn't have any kids, so who who manages his estate? His his dad got all of his stuff when he died. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I imagine whoever he passed it off to, you know, yeah. by now it might just be some, like, 
trust or something. I don't know. Did his dad ever comment on his death or anything? I don't think he said anything publicly, or at least nothing that I can find. Volerick said his last words were, that guy's got to stop. He'll see us. What? Yeah. I guess he was talking about uh, turnip seed. I guess he saw the Ford. Maybe he was like, I don't know. I don't know how that... But yeah, he said, that guy's got to stop. He'll see us. That was like his last words. Sounds like it should be that guy's got to stop. Doesn't he see us? Yeah. Sounds like that's what it should be. Yeah. Um, but He'll see us. Like, what are, what are you hiding from? Oh, no, no, no. Like, oh, no. Like, he's got to see us. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. He's oh, like, he's, oh, man. Oh, he's got to stop. He'll, he's see, gotta, us. he'll see us. Oh, he'll yeah, see yeah, us. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought James Dean, like, didn't want to be seen. Was like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about, dude? He's not the cops. <laughs> he's not the cops. His funeral was huge. Though initially slow to reach newspapers in the eastern United States, details of Dean's death rapidly spread via radio and television. By October 2nd, his death had received significant coverage from domestic and worldwide. Everybody had heard about it. Dean's funeral was held on October 8th, 1955 at the Fairmount Friends Church in Fairmount, Indiana. Dude, one of you want to fucking bet James DeWeird was at his funeral? I would bet $1,000 right now he was. Absolutely. Of course he was. Yep. The coffin was closed because he was fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, 600 people were in attendance while another 2,400 fans gathered outside of the building during the procession. Uh, he is now buried at Park Cemetery in Fairmount, second road to the right from the main entrance, and up the hill on the right, facing <laughs> the drive. Oh, those are way specific. Uh, I'm sure you could just ask somebody. You don't need all that. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty big trial for Indiana. Was he buried at like some celebrity cemetery? or like? What? No, he was just buried out in Indiana, like where he kind of around where he was born. I wonder why. Like, why would they wouldn't bury him at like the Hollywood Cemetery? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, I can't imagine he had a will. No, he didn't have a will. That was one reason why all of his stuff went to his dad. Maybe his dad was a part of that. Like, I want him to be buried in In the quiet dirt. Yeah, in the quiet dirt. (laughs) I want him buried in the quiet dirt. That's exactly what was going on. Return to the dirt. (laughs) And this was the newspaper article that day that everybody found out. I bring sad news to the world of film and the world in general. James Dean, 24, one of Hollywood's brightest new motion picture stars, was killed early last night in a head-on collision. Not really. At the rural town of Cholame, about 19 miles east of Paso Robles, the California Highway Patrol reported, the young actor met death in his German-built poor sports car while en route to road races at Salinas. Patrolman said Dean was dead on arrival at the Paso Robles War Memorial Hospital following the crash at the intersection of State Highway 41 and US 466. This has been Radio Man, and that was the sad news for the day. <laughs> Carry on. Up next, the doors. <laughs> he met death. He met death. Um, is there a memorial at, at the crash site? Yeah, there's a memorial uh, at the crash site. A lot of people, I, I almost went when I first moved here, but I also got creeped out by it, to be honest. Mm. So I was like, I'm not going to go drive the same road he was driving when he died. Yeah, you know? how far is it from here? It's pretty far. Yeah. It's like, it's hours away. It's like halfway between here and San Francisco, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's on up there for sure. But yeah, they also, they put a memorial here and they have a memorial for him in Indiana, like around where he was born and stuff. Um, uh, they have like a whole like James Dean tour, you know. Yeah, this I, is where I, James DeWeird touched him. You know? <laughs> I saw a picture. They have like a 
big sign of him above a gas station. It's like, he didn't die to sell your gas. <laughs> Just what he would have wanted. Uh, but yeah, man, he influenced all of us. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are multiple actors. You know, Speaking of Nicolas Cage, he was one of them. Martin Sheen, Robert mm-hmm. De Niro, Al Pacino, mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, there were... Uh, numerous, countless actors mm-hmm. who have said they started acting because of James Dean. I'm one wow. of them. Okay. I'm absolutely one of them. I crazy. I wasn't even that big of a fan of his work when I was a very young guy, for mm-hmm. sure, to be honest. But I just wanted to be that guy. Yeah, yeah, know? just a fan of his essence. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you know, like I mean, and when you watch like a young Martin Sheen, he absolutely is doing James Dean. Mm-hmm. You know, when you watch Leonardo DiCaprio in basketball diaries and yeah. shit he is i mean james dean definitely in my opinion was he by no means was the first uh sad boy on screen <laughs> but i say he perfected it you know like he created this like broody thing and he was also uh he became a gay icon you know i mean uh yeah. like there were modern day gay magazines that talk about how he was this androgynous uh, star, you know, cool. and you didn't know who he liked, and maybe he didn't like anybody, maybe he liked everyone, you mm-hmm. know, and I think he sort of made a lot of people feel open to explore that. If yeah. if James Dean didn't know what he liked, yeah, you know, yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's it, the the impact is absolutely insane. That's yeah. that's a considering how short of a run that was. Like yeah. I had no idea he was so he young. only he only did like four movies. Yeah, yeah, yep. And um, I mean, yeah, and three that were really like. The ones, right? You know? Yeah, I didn't honestly going into this. I didn't either. I didn't realize it was only three big, real like James Dean movies. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, man, and just uh, what he has become compared to uh, how short he lived. It's yeah, so crazy, man. Yeah, it's just, it's that's wild. They're you know yeah. they're, they're they're fans. Of, There'll there'll always be a James Dean fan from now until the end of you know modern society. Absolutely, someone will be a James Dean fan. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, think about that. Like, you could ask uh, a teenager nowadays who Marlon Brando is, and honestly, they might not know. Right. Yeah. But odds are they know who James Dean is. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's was. wild. Yeah. His you know just the reputation was eternal. Yeah. He represented like. Yeah, the perfect dude for the perfect time, you know, yeah. right at the edge of the rebellious culture. Exactly. Uh, is the perfect mascot for that. And, yeah. like, you know, uh, a lot of things change about, you know, uh, you know, people in that time of their life throughout the ages. You know, the there's a lot of differences between people in their teens and early 20s now than there was in the 50s. But there's certain elements that never really go away. You yeah. know, there's always a, a certain, um, you know... That that rebellious nature exists just in people of that age, Absolutely. and uh, having a mascot for that is like, uh, you know, he was like the first one. Yeah, you know, you could argue you, there's probably there's been one since then, but uh, you know, he's the original. Definitely, and that's one of the reasons I'm excited to talk about all these people. You know, I mean, James Dean was he stood up for like you were saying, it was almost like a disenfranchised youth, you know, type of thing. And Marilyn Monroe was this. Uh, icon for women in the industry at the mm-hmm. time and what she did and how yeah. you know yeah uh, she's another one who's like as much of a symbol as she was ever a person absolutely absolutely and again died very young you mm-hmm. know um but yeah i'm excited to get into this whole like series of these people yeah this, um, is, this is fun this is the real film history this is the real film this history. is the real history <laughs> <laughs> oh man well in, in the meantime if you'd like to catch up with the current history 
You can follow me on Instagram at Drake Cummings, on uh, Twitter at Drake underscore Cummings, on TikTok at Hollywood Drake. Uh, YouTube uh, is still developing, but it's Drake Cummings. I do have a comedic short that I wrote and acted in, uh, I'm pretty proud of, called uh, Nothing Personal. It's out there. It's also on my IGTV. Uh, Raging 20s merch store, uh, Raging20sMerch.com to uh, buy some 1920s inspired uh, uh, clothing lines, which uh, James is uh, wearing right now, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you can find Dev at uh, Sailor Dev on Instagram and uh, somewhere uh, overseas. Somewhere overseas. And he will, I think he's going to be back in the next episode. We shall see. We can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> Uh, you can find us at Film History, the History of Film, or FHHF Podcast on the Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Jimmy Deloy or James Wyatt Scott, depending on where you're looking for me. And you can also find me just innocently taking a left <laughs> in my 1954 Tudor. And good, is that a fucking race car coming down there? Is that James Dean? <laughs> On Film History, <laughs> the, the History of Film! You know what I'm talking about! That's so funny. Like, I, it's like the, 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 the double take of like, is that James Dean in a rocket? Yes. <laughs> is there a literal, like, fiery engine coming towards <laughs> James Dean in it? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>